Okay, inappropriate Earl, back in the house. It's hot in Los Angeles today. Uh, you know, I have a lot of stand-up comics on the show. I have a lot of 80s musicians on the show. I've had Instagram models on the show with the triple D boobies. You know, I needed the numbers, to be honest with you. Uh, but today's one of my uh, favorite topics to discuss i've had some great hockey guests on uh the mayor john hoven jonathan davis and now i have my kings of the round table partner i i can't say enough nice things about this man sure you can <laughs> the great cool. the legend nhl network la kings correspondent among many other credits mr dennis bernstein Earl, you're the greatest, man. This is great to be on the Inappropriate Earl podcast. I've been waiting to do this, and we found a great opportunity and some time to sit down and talk hockey with you. So thanks for bringing me on. Well, you know, hockey in L.A. is uh, it's a dicey uh, sport to cover, you know, with LeBron being... LeBron. It's all LeBron. LeBron played last night. Everyone knows about LeBron now. He played eight minutes. I mean, we <laughs> go out and get Kovalchuk, and it... Barely gets a mention. Right. And then LeBron James playing in the preseason in San Diego. <laughs> Against the Nuggets. Let's go. You'd think, um, I mean, I, I just, it kills me that uh, hockey is still, now with LeBron in town, it's going to be tough. Oh, it's absolutely going to be tough. It's going to be tough to sell tickets. It's going to be tough to get uh, time on the local news. But look, you got to win, Earl. And you know what? Before LeBron came, you have to win in this town. Right? I get it. I understand it. You got to be winners. SC with all their legacy, they're going to lose the games. They won't, people won't show up for those games. UCLA might not win a football game. So you got to win. The pressure's always on. So, I, I, yes, it's going to be much more of a challenge because of the stature of LeBron, and I get it and I understand it. But you know what? There's a rabid fan base here. There's a solid fan base here. They're not front runners. People like yourself have been fans for a very long time. So there's a, a great core fans here in Los Angeles. So I think the core fans will certainly stick with it. They're sitting like on transition to the Lakers, who might be a 500 team even with LeBron. But, yeah, the attention by the mass media is going to be all over the Lakers this year. Well, the Kings are, uh, and we're going to talk, uh, you know, NHL hockey in general. Sure. Uh, I really want to get into uh, Tom Wilson and his uh, oh, no. latest shenanigans. Uh, you know, I don't understand the NHL. You want to get rid of the Bugards and the Belaks and the Brashears and the Kevin Westgars, but, you know, they seem to go out of their way to keep the Ralphie Torres, the Matt Cooks. Yeah, it's a great point, Earl. You know, Wilson's the great new. Great point, right? Those, those hits are, they're not part of the game. They're absolutely not part of them. They're predatory. And I think, to be honest with you, he's going to get 10 games. I really think that, that you have to be more punitive. I'm always for more punishment, not less. Right. So I, I think that he, he's going to have an in-person. He had an opportunity for an in-person hearing. That's a minimum of five games. I double it, give him 10 games, take some money out of his pocket. And the point, and I was on Winnipeg Radio today, he says, Dan, but if he keeps doing it, what's the point? Why not give him 20 or 40 games? I do think at this point in time, it was a preseason game. The guy needs to keep his head up. I get the point. Some guys on the other side, a guy like Andrew Peters, who was a big enforcer, right? Andrew said, like, keep the guy needs to get his heads up, his head up. On the ice, he did, but he had multiple injuries. Not only concussion, I think he had a, some a bodily injury too. So there's no room in it. And and Tom, kind of know Tom a little. He's a good kid, but he just gets out of control. And the, these hits are very dangerous. So I, I think it's going to be ten games. You know when Andrew Peters is the voice of reason, <laughs> we're in big trouble. <laughs> Absolutely, one of the great uh, goons, uh, tough guys, goon, tough guy, yeah. Uh, but. You know, you didn't really see these kind of hits back in the day because yep. the players knew 
if you did that, you're going to have to answer to Stu Gremson. Right. I mean, I have a, a training camp uh, VHS tape of the Qu- Quebec Nordiques. I think it was their 88 preseason training camp. Mm-hmm. And my God, it was in their camp was Wayne Van Dorp, Darren Kemble, both Robert's brothers, <laughs> Gord Donnelly, wow. I think Basil McRae's brother, Chris McRae, and probably four other guys. Right. And the Kings had, you know, I remember going into King camps where you had Brian McGratton, sure. uh, Wade Brookbank. Yep. And, you know, now it's... No, there's no... Fun. I there's mean, no accountability. There's no accountability. That's true. It's no accountability, but you don't want players fighting anymore, too. A guy like um, you know, Kyle Clifford, man. I mean, you know, he he got to pick his spots now. Like, you want to defend the honor of your players and make sure no nuts... But to drop the gloves and continue to fight is dangerous for a player who's been in the league the eight to ten years because you see the CTE stuff. You see... The, you know, I, I was very close with Mike Peluso in New Jersey. I was personal friends with him. I, I lived in this building. We, we hung out together. And to see him, you know, at 50 years old or however he is to deteriorate, deteriorate this at, to this extent and see him on TSN, you know, crying and saying, I'm not going to live that much longer. I, it, it's got to stop. I, I So I get the enforcer. I get you have to answer for that. It's just I, I don't know how to solve this because you're right. That's been taken out of the game. There, you don't have to answer for your hits anymore, right? Because back in the day, in the 70s or 80s, Tom Wilson would have had to drop the gloves every night, right? And that's not the case anymore. So it's a tough situation to do because I agree with you. That aspect of the game has been extracted. And now the only way to, to answer for that is waiting for the league to put down punishment for taking money out of players' pockets and suspending them for games. I mean, because I, although Wilson makes a fair wage. He I, does. I, he got a nice extension. But he doesn't make that much where if you sit him for 10 games, that may be the only thing that gets him to go, oh, maybe I need to curtail my... Uh... Maybe, but if you see his style of play, he plays with reckless abandon. The problem is abandon's okay, but when it's that reckless, you can't. it can't happen like that. So that at some point in time, it's going to be a very dangerous hit. And, you know, one of these days, Earl, somebody's going to get hurt very, very badly. I mean, hopefully Sunsquist gets better and he returns in the game. But someone's going to be put out of the game. And then what do you do? I mean, that's my concern. One of these predatory hits is going to end somebody's career. And when it does, how are you going to exact the punishment? Because what they usually do is like that kind of hit, the player misses five or six games. Then you give him a 10-game suspension. So there's kind of a equality to it. But what do you do when a hit that ends someone's career? Like, do you suspend that player for a year, for two years, for six, 40 games? The punishment won't fit the crime. And that's what I concern myself with because you can't have these hits to the heads. Or, and and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the training or a different type of generation doesn't respect the players. Um, it, they, there shouldn't be these types of hits in the game. And like you said, without the enforcer factor, I, I think they're going to continue until maybe another generation of kids who, who never grew up playing like this, where it's all skill and all speed, maybe that'll resolve it. But I, I, you know, for guys like Wilson, I'm not sure what you do. I think it hopefully it calms him down. Um, but I just think he gets on the ice, he gets his his juices flowing, and that's the type of player he is. So I don't think it's the last hit we'll see like that that's going to be questionable by Tom Wilson. Oh, and there's more than just Tom Wilson in the league. I mean, listen, I'm a huge yeah. Dustin Brown fan, but he's had some hits that are, like if he wasn't on the Kings, I'd be <laughs> like, let's get let's get this guy. You know, the Roosevelt hit in the playoffs and, and uh, yeah. a couple of years. I mean, it was like, you know, the problem is. I'm biased on Brown, though. So I, look, oh, I love him. Yeah, so and, and but he's never were, injured, and he's never put people out. Like the biggest hit was a total, like the hit on Henrik Sedin in the playoffs. It's a clean hit, legit 
hard, clean hit. And and Dustin's been suspended, what, one or two games in a 13-year career? So And I know that people are applauding and happy that he broke his finger last night and he deserves it and it's calm, and that's all BS. I'm, I'm telling you. I mean, he plays on an edge. He plays tough. Sometimes it's hit, you know, the hit on Hurdle in, in San Jose. Yeah, that was a tough hit, right? I get it. But I, I, I don't see that. Like, I don't equate Dustin to Tom Wilson. Tom just goes out there, flies, and is a headhunter. The only thing about Dustin, he's not really a headhunter. Right. So I think that's a little bit of a, 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 a different with respect to Wilson. Wilson's hits are, you know, too much to the head. Like Dustin will hit you and hit you straight up. And play, fans don't like it of the other 30 teams. But like yourself, if you weren't a Kings fan, you'd hate him. But because you're a Kings fan, you appreciate the, the toughness and the energy he brings to the ice. Oh, if Tom Wilson were on the Kings, I'd be like, oh, that hit was pretty good. <laughs> it's close One enough. One game. Yeah, exactly. It, but, you know, I, I don't think they should bring fighting back in the era that I watched it, I, I understand, uh, you know, with concussions and these guys yeah. getting bigger and bigger. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think I've told you the first guy who got me into watching hockey was Barry Beck. Sure. And, you know, he was 6'3", 215. And I think part of what attracted me to him was he was just so much bigger than everybody. He was. I remember him back in the day. He was immense. He was... He was like Shaq. You were he just, was Shaq, right. Who was this guy? Right, exactly, yep. And now he wouldn't even be... He'd maybe be the third, fourth biggest guy on his team. On his team, yeah, absolutely. Because um, it's another generation training, better, you know, better, guys, uh, better, uh, better food, stuff like that. So yeah, so now he's just he'd be a nice and and be honest with you, Earl, with his skating, he probably wouldn't play in the league. Right? Well, I tell you, a guy who reminds me of Beck, and, and every game I see him play is enough. Yeah, like you know, they're they're I don't want to say slow, but they're oh, he's slow. You can say it. Well, I mean, they're but he's slower. It, they're absolutely slow. It, he he, Dion Phaneuf might have been an all-star prototypical power defenseman ten years ago, but not now. Not now. Now it, you know he's going to be a third-pair defenseman on Los Angeles, and he's comfortable with that. He's a good guy. I mean, with all the 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 negativity around Dion when he was in Toronto and then to some extent Ottawa. He's been exceptional in LA. His teammates love him. He's been very available to the media. He he's. He's depthful with his with his answers, and he understands that he's towards the end of his career. And if he plays 14, 15 minutes on a third pair with a, a guy like Ledoux or Brickley or, or Fantenberg, he's comfortable with that. He's still making the same money, but he's not the type of defenseman you're going to see five or seven years from now. That, that, you know, like when the Kings won the Cup of Matt Green, who was fantastic, who was a warrior, who, you know, part of the toughness he brought, that was the reason that the t Kings won their Cups, right? Matt couldn't play in the great league right now or he'd be a marginal defense because he can't skate. Earl, if you can't skate, you're done. That's why I agree with you. With enough, he's at best a third-pair defenseman because if you can't skate and be mobile, um, you get exposed now because there's so much skill up front. There's so much talent. There's, these kids go so fast. I mean, look, Connor McDavid's an exceptional player. He's a generational talent. But I've never seen a player... Do what he does at that speed. It's incredible. And it's only going to get worse. It's only not get worse. It's going to get better because you're going to have second and third, like Austin Wagner on the Kings. Like he's the 13th or 14th. This kid is fast as shit. I mean, I watched him over the last three games. Holy crap. He he beat the defense in, in Anaheim, got a breakaway yeah. goal, got one that way. And then against Vegas, he beat the defense twice and Florida made great stops. But this kid got wheels. And that's just a sampling of, I think, what we're going to see in the next three to five to seven years and beyond. I mean, that goal he scored against Anaheim was like something you'd see in a ball hockey game. Like, just yeah. chip it. 
Yep. And just he came, he was behind the defense and just beat them to the puck. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're gonna see. And this kid's a third liner. He's not even a top six player at this point in time. But that's what's happening now. These kids are just so fast and so skilled. And I think that the game is it's certainly different than when you and I grew up, Earl, but it's oh. much it, it, I think it's it's better to some extent because there's such skill on display and you know, players don't have to worry about, you know about fighting and stuff like that. You don't have to drop the gloves because it's just, there's not that many. It's, it's, it's a lost breed at this point in time. You're not going to see players, I think five to seven years from now, Earl, I don't think you're going to see fighting in the game. I think they probably, probably outlaw it because they're saying, well, look, there's only X amount of players that fight anyway. Right. And the, the, the fans have seen to acclimate to that skill and speed. Now they're the expectation that they don't, you know, back in the day, it was like 10 years ago, you'd ask three questions like who fought, who scored, and how was the beer? And now you don't say that anymore. It's like, you know, this these kids are so skilled and they don't grow up like that. Like the kids who were enforcers, they can't even get on the junior team now. That's because there's there's no room for a non-skater on the team anymore. I mean, I just, uh, you know, when I go to the gym, Dennis, uh, I hate working out. So what I do is I bring <laughs> How my, do you stay in shape, Earl, that, that you, you hate working out, but... I take my iPad with me and I swear I watch 80s fight tapes on YouTube. <laughs> That's great. Oh, it's the it's just like passes it the time. It pumps me up, and I was watching today. Uh, it was an '80s compilation of Ranger fights. Okay, and it's mind blowing to me that on one team you had Eddie Johnstone, yeah, uh, Mario Marawa, right, uh, Beck, uh, Hospodar, yeah, uh, Hospodar, a, right. a guy like Greshner who yep. necessarily he wasn't a fighter, but he could handle he himself. himself. Right, the Maloney brothers were yep. pretty, and now. You know, you got Clifford, and I don't want to see him fight anymore. No, I agree. Cliffy needs to really pick his spots. I mean, maybe when his when his retribution, like back when um, when Kachuk went after Drew Doughty, right, and and so you had to answer for that. Maybe that's what you. Maybe that that you get maybe a couple of times a year where a player goes after your star player, and you say, hey, we can't do this, and maybe that. But other than that, they have the threat of. Clifford out on the ice is great, and he's a great character guy, and the players love him, and you know he's going to be a king for life. But yeah, I concern myself with that. I, th- I, I, you see him come off the ice after some fights, and he's like, okay, maybe he shouldn't drop the gloves anymore. So he has to be very players like that have to be careful because it just it's a cumulative effect when you fight so much. So that's that's a concern I have, not only for Clifford, but other guys like you know Orion Reeves or you know a couple of guys left in the league that are that's ostensibly what they do. Uh, it just yeah. It, it just got to end at some point. I mean, I look at Reeves now like I looked at Beck yeah. back when I started watching. Like, my God, this guy's pretty yeah. fast yeah. for a guy his size. And who's going to fight him? No one's going to fight him. Maybe McDermott, but he's Maybe. not going to be on the Kings. I mean, I yeah, know he was he already, sent down. He, he sent down, but he that would be an a, that would be a preseason fight. Like if you want to just clear the air over last year and bad feelings about getting swept by Vegas and you wanted McDermott or somebody else to drop the gloves and 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 fight Reeves to just get it over with. I understand that. Um, but again, I don't think that's going to be, you don't see that in the regular season. You definitely don't see it in the playoffs anymore. Uh, it's just a lost, it's not a lost art. It's just, it's a, a skill or a, a toolbox that people don't really need anymore. Well, I mean, I get it. I mean, I watched McDermott play in the preseason and I, at the end of the day, Dennis, I'm just an idiot comic. So, you know, I'm, I think I'm a pretty level-headed evaluator of talent of hockey, and he he definitely is 
a step behind the speed yeah, of the game. He is. Uh, but I, I understand you can't play the stars every preseason game. Right. Even my boy, number 55, Boko Imama. That's right. The, but that's a Boko. 10 years ago, yeah. I would have said maybe Imama could make the team. Right, exactly. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a different skill set. But McDermott, look, he, the first half, the beginning of last season, he came up and he was fine. It's just that... He's a he's a six seven eight defenseman, Earl. He's right. not a top four guy, so you have to limit um you have to limit the minutes, and you have to pick the teams that maybe it's a better matchup. Like he might be better against an Anaheim because Anaheim doesn't have a lot of speed, right? So maybe that's the team you match him up against. But it, he couldn't go after against Vegas the way they skate and be an effective defenseman. So that's why you know he's going to be a solid AHL defenseman. If there's an injury on the defensive core for L.A. to bring him up, would I be scared to put him in a couple of games? No, I think he'd be fine, but I think he would get exposed over time because of what you mentioned, a lack of foot speed. Well, I remember, I'm so old, I remember his dad, yeah. who was quite the body checker, Paul yeah. McDermott. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he got sent down today, I think. Uh, who, who else? Luft. Luft got sent down. Dan Brickley got sent down. Which is a little surprising there. No, because, you know, you know, you talk to people, you talk to players – the thing with Dan and Dan got better as training camp got, you know, got going. Like the last game against um, Anaheim was probably his best, but his speed of moving the puck, he's not used to the pace of the NHL. So I think going down, getting ten or fifteen games down the AHL just to and played a faster pace because him moving the puck in his own zone, he didn't have the requisite speed that you needed. That's why you see a Ledoux, who I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but can move the puck. I think that's why you see Ledoux with a Fantenberg up there. So Dan didn't have to clear waivers, so he went down. So I think he gets 15, 20 games down there, and I think eventually you might see him come up and maybe a, um, well, I wouldn't think a Ford goes down because they only carry 13 um, at this point in time. But I think you'll see Paul before, uh, uh, Dan before the end of the season. I just think that he has to get used to the pace. But again, the, all this conversation Earl is around speed and pace, you know, that since we've started the the podcast, um, that's what's been happening. So I think you'll see Dan Brickley. Uh, they're they're very high on him. They're one of the free agents that, you know, that's the one thing about this organization. They can now recruit free agents. They, back in the day, they would never get Kovalchuk. Back in the day, they'd never signed college free agents. But with Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake recruiting people, um, it's much easier. I think just a much more player-friendly organization. So you'll see Dan at some point in time. I just think he has to get used to the pace. Now, we're going to get into the Kings roster and whatnot right now. But you mentioned Blake and Robitaille. Yeah. What would you say the difference is? Because I'm a Lombardi guy, to be okay. honest with you. Okay, that's good. Like He took Two some – I mean – He took big swings. He's a gambler. And he won most until 2015, and then he lost. <laughs> he didn't he win his out. last two games. Yeah, he crapped out. You know, what are you going to do? But I don't, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, the Lucic trade, at the time, I would do again. Okay. You can't. It's easy to sit here now in 2018 and go, yeah, that yeah, didn't work money, out. money, money, quarterbacking, sure. You know, we could trade tomorrow, and I know it's not going to happen, uh, Toffoli and Pearson for Panarin. Right. And in two years from now, it could be a disaster, or we win another cup. Right, exactly. Uh, so, and the Sakara trade, I got no problem with that deal okay. at the time. At the time, a mm, little panic, a little bit pick for that guy. Mm. Absolutely, a little panic. But uh, it, all right, but they they you make guesses, Earl. I mean, you can't like if you know if you could you know get in the the the, the car in the DeLorean and in uh, and and go ahead two years and fine. Right. This isn't, you know, this isn't back to the future. So you, you got to take a risk. And what the the issue was, not the issue was, look, 
Dean bet big and won big. He bet big on, on Carter. I was one of the biggest critics of bringing Jeff Carter in. It's a bad guy. He doesn't talk to the media. Da, da. He won on that. And then the Ga Ga Gabrick trade, same thing. Gabrick was hurt. He wasn't scoring any goals. And Columbus came in. He galvanized the team, scored all those goals in 2014, made me look like shit. So I get it. I understand it. But you know what? That's what happens when you're a big stakes gambler, Earl. So you win some hands and you lose some hands. And, the, and he lost his touch. But I think the issue with Lombardi is it's not that he lost big on those, those the Luchich trade and the Sakara trade, which put the team behind the eight ball. He was too, his, what, his, what made him great, Earl, was his stubbornness. He was stubborn as they come and he stuck to his guns. And then, then in 2015, when we always, I always go back to 2015 when the season ended because there was a, uh, we had a uh, conference call with him and the, the Penguins had won the cup. And he said, yeah, I'm not interested in, uh, or it was 2016, if it's 15 or 16. He said, yeah, I'm not interested in the flavor of the month. Uh, uh, saying that basically my big, not so fast team can still win in this league. He never adapted. I mean, he didn't see it coming. And he stuck to his guns. He, he, he stayed with Daryl. And that's why Dustin Brown isn't, coach, isn't captain anymore. So all those things, it just came back. And it was a perfect storm for him in a negative way. So I think that's what happened is that he stuck to his guns. He didn't want to transition the team to one that of a smaller guy with more speed and skill. You know, Dean loved those two-way players who were solid citizens who wouldn't make a mistake, but they weren't very highly skilled. So when he left the organization, there wasn't a lot in the cupboard for the Kings. But now the way they've drafted and developed the last couple of years, there's a lot of speedy, talented kids on this team and in the organization. So you're going to see that. You would never have an Austin Wagner in this organization before. You know, you'd have the 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 Nick Dowds and the uh, the Nick Shores, uh, those type of players who were good, would never make a mistake, and they were safe picks, but they weren't they weren't what you needed right now. So I think that's the that's the issue with Dean, and and I think that you know, although Dean says he's happy in Los, in Philadelphia, he really hasn't gotten a call to be a GM somewhere else. Right? So does that tell you that his style and his way of building a roster? Plus, I don't think the um, uh, the World Cup of Hockey helped them either. Right. So I think he put together a, a grinding team and they, you know, they talked a lot and they got embarrassed in the World Cup of hockey. So I think that, that it's just that maybe his time has passed with respect to how you develop in, uh, in an organization and how you build a team for a championship in 2018. It worked in 2014. But as you know, Earl, very different between 2014 and 2018. So I think that's the challenge. That's the issue. And then, and Dean never adapted. And certainly Daryl never adapted. You know, a young player in the lineup for Dean for Daryl Sutter. Are you kidding me? You know, he went into a, a game five in elimination against San Jose a couple of years ago, and he had Dwight King and Trevor Lewis uh, uh, for the wings for Andre Kopitar. Just didn't work anymore. And so rightfully so, they made a trade. And look, Luke wanted that job for a while. He wanted to be the GM when, when, when you know, back in the day. And he got he finally got his way because of the failure of Dean and Daryl. Um, and I think they've done a great job. I really do. And now, look, it's only been a little bit over a year. Um, year and a half since they've taken place, but I think they've transitioned this. I think the organization was not on the same page with respect to the the GM, the coaching staff, and the rest of the team. And certainly, the team didn't like um, Daryl anymore, so they were done. If you watched the 2017 season, the 2016 season, um, at the end, those last 20 games, they quit on. They, they don't want to play for Daryl anymore. And every coach has a shelf life. So I respect the job that Dean and Daryl did. I think they could have been here longer and still been in their jobs if they were willing to adapt to what this game is today and they were willing to do it and they paid the price. But I think Rob and, and Luke, you know, it's different. Now you got two Hall of Fame players running the show. 
right? And I think they respect players more, and I think it's a more friendly atmosphere. That's why John Stevens is the coach, because the players like and respect John. Not that they didn't respect Daryl, but it, it just it, there was too much animosity between, you know, Daryl was a great coach, but he never took his foot off the, the, the gas pedal. Two cups, two rings, just relax, take it easy, you know, make it easy on the players. He never did. He, it, it wasn't his nature. With John Stevens, he's much more calm. I know that the players, maybe they don't love him, but they really like him um, and they respect him. And I, I just think they responded last year. They bounced back. They played very well. They had a tough playoff round, four tough games against Vegas. But I, I really like what, you know, when Phil Anschutz and Dan Becker made the decision to change the top of the food chain in the organization with, with Luke and, and Blake, I think they've done a great job, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I'm a very loyal person in my personal life. You know, people who are good to me. I Amen. I About mean, relationships. You, but you've been great to me from day one. You deserve it. But I mean, I can't, in the technical sense, help you in any capacity. Right. And doesn't you're still matter. nice to me. Doesn't it, matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter. And I just, and I think that was almost Lombardi's problem, you know, with the Mike Richards thing. Maybe he could yep. have bought him out. Agreed. Um, yep. You know, the, the, the Voinoff situation, which you know, I think doesn't get the credit for being the death knell into the the team as we knew it back then because then they had to go out and get Regeer and then Regeer right. had to play at that stage of his career maybe a little more than he, he should have been. Right. Um, and, I mean, Voinov just... Yeah, there were some bumps in the road, but you know, I, the Voinov thing, and we could talk about the Voinov thing, I'm, I'm pretty been pretty transparent about it. Now, I, I get that they, you know, there's a faction, maybe the organization wants to bring him back or whatever. I always said like, all right, can I stop hearing about Voinov? Go get another defenseman that's like Voinov. Go get another top four right-handed defenseman. Make a trade. Move a first-round pick. Move one of your process, whatever. I don't want to hear that we miss Slava Voinov anymore. I mean, he wasn't that, he wasn't Drew Daddy, Earl. I mean, let's, Oh, let's no, I know. But I, I heard that excuse for so long. I'm like, well, make a trade or draft somebody. Like, they, they can replace this guy. He wasn't an irre, irreplaceable asset. I get it. The team wasn't as good. But, I mean, the, it, he his skills were built up to a mythical proportion. It was like he was like Eric Carson-like. I mean, going like, you can't replace a Slava Vaughn. You can't replace a right-handed top four defenseman. Right? Then maybe you shouldn't run the team. So I, I heard that excuse for too long. Um, I, I don't see any scenario where he comes back to Los Angeles. Oh, I don't want him back. Okay. Uh, oh, that's good. But I just meant, like, let's just say... Yeah. Crystal ball, uh, you know, I like to go back and say, what if Rat did some things? <laughs> you know, Rat, yeah. it's probably the only time Rat and hockey are ever going to, you know, Rat had the chance to put their song Body Talk on the Top Gun soundtrack. Right. And they, uh, whoever said no, we're going to go with Eddie Murphy's Golden Child instead. Right. Now at the time, going back to like the Lombardi trades, no one knew Top Gun would be what it would be. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So I like to go back in time and go, what if Voinov didn't do that? Mm -hmm. Allegedly. Right, allegedly. Uh, I, listen, I know some people think OJ's innocent, uh, <laughs> even though it's blood. Hey, but the guy's living in Florida, married the girl, takes care of the, the baby. So he, he he has to get a work visa, but he's living in Florida right now. So, I mean, I, I get it. And, and there's look, there's a faction of Kings fans that say, he paid a penalty. He's he's been suspended for basically two years. Like, and there are other players who who have had those type of circumstances that are playing in the NFL or the NBA or the NHL. Like Varlamov, you know, had a bad situation with his girlfriend at the time. So, and they're playing. So there's a faction that's saying no. But I just, I think at this point in time, I think that. 
because of the Me Too movement and so many other more sensitive, and people are just more sensitive about, uh, you know, uh, with respect to domestic violence. Um, I just don't see the circumstance where any team would want that. And and even it was Los Angeles, Earl, I get it. Like, you could protect him, and, and the Kings are pretty protective of their players. It's not a lot of media, not a lot of interviews being done. They could do that, but could you imagine if they brought back Vornoff, his first trip when he goes into Philadelphia, what with those fans, what would happen? Like, or in Boston, or even in New York. I, I don't see, like, I just think, well, I know that the league is frightened of the response when he comes back. And, you know, they probably look to maybe have a, a situation where they he couldn't come back, where they might want to look at a scenario where they could abandon for life. But because of the CBA, I don't think they can do that. So I, I think that they're just waiting. I, I certainly think that some team, maybe in Canada, might take a chance on him. Um, I think there'll be a lengthy suspension, 20, 40 games. But I think eventually, if some team wants to put up with a negative PR and wants to put up a risk and thinks that – he can be the difference in winning a Stanley Cup. I think eventually he'll be playing in the league, but I, I just don't see at this point in time the climate around this ownership right now. Um, although they might have been open to it when Dean and Daryl were, were running the show, I think at this point in time, I can't see an era, a scenario where he comes back to L.A. It's just part of me just goes, okay, let's say he doesn't allegedly do what he did. Then we don't make the Sakara trade. Right, exactly. There's, then we get those picks. I mean, it was just like... Yeah, uh, it's dominoes. But, you know, I, like, I'm a Steeler fan. When we signed Michael Vick, I was mortified just because I'm right. a dog lover. And, yeah, I and, get it. I get. You know what? Some some people think that winning excuses a lot of sins, and and I don't think so. I just think in this climate today, to bring back Vornoff, um to any team, I wouldn't want him on my team. I just wouldn't want the distraction. Um, I, I wouldn't want to have to deal with all the things you'd have to do to prepare. Like you could never make him. In, I mean, imagine making him available for interviews. What kind of questions is he going to get? His, his English isn't that good to begin with, so it would be very, very difficult. That might be helpful. It, it, it probably is helpful. I don't know if it's just another thing. I, I just looked at maybe, maybe can maybe Toronto. I mean, Toronto could use a defenseman like that to win a Stanley Cup. So maybe, but I just think that um, that media would like. Eat yeah, him alive. they would unless the team wins a Stanley Cup, then everybody's <laughs> going to be happy and celebrating because it's been since 1967. So I, I agree with you, I, 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 and I got to think that's one of 31 teams would take a chance and would take a gamble and and say we don't care about the reaction from the, the general public. Um, I just think there would be a lengthy suspension and then uh, just so much negativity around it. If I'm a GM, I wouldn't want that around my team. All right, well, let's get into the Kings now. Okay. Because I'm a Fantenberg guy, so I'm. I don't think Agreed. we need Voinov. Uh, you know, I'm. Whatever happens to him, I mean, I do agree he's paid his penalty. Yeah. But uh, in this, unfortunately for him, and the Me Too and Times Up movement. Yep. Uh, I just uh, I would go back to the KHL if I were him. And I agree. I think that's what he. That's what he. I agree with you. Live a nice. He's a hero over there. I mean, he he was a hero. They lauded him when he came back. I mean, okay, just stay there. I don't, I don't see the need to do that given just the reaction. But, you know, it's an individual, you know, we make choices in life, Earl. But I agree with you with Fantenberg. I mean, he he's, I like him a lot. I mean, go back to game two in the playoffs last year. Oh. Man played 41 minutes. He blocks shots. His shot gets in the net. But there's something, I don't know, I don't know if it's a, a John Stevens perception or whatever, but I don't think that John's the biggest fan of Oscar Fantenberg. I just think that he would prefer to have a guy like Derek Forbert when he's healthy 
to be up top with Drew Doughty. I think that's that's what you do. Or maybe put Jake Muzzin up there. But I like Fantenberg. I think he should play more than he does. And I think there's, pe- there's people in the organization that think that Oscar should play more. Maybe he gets that chance this season, but I like him. Um, he moves the puck well. He seems to be smart. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He blocks shots and a shot gets to the net. Um, he has a skill set that should be a top six player and maybe even a top four player. But I, I just see some, some resistance from John Stevens. Maybe that changes this year. Because again, you know, you look at the team, they're kind of banged up now. Forbert's back is, is bothering him. Dustin Brown had a fractured finger, so he's out. They, you don't have any right wings. Brodzinski has a separated shoulder, right? Velarde, who everybody thought it was going to be a godsend at the 11 pick a couple of years ago, can't get on the ice. So there's some challenges for this team as they come out of the gate start Friday night. Well, to me, and I think I might have been the only thing I contributed to the Kings of the Round Table. Oh, stop it. You were great. <laughs> I'm a little quiet in group settings. Yeah, he's shot. The comedian's shot. Guy's on stage all the time. Uh, but like to me, yeah. the Kings are at a weird spot. Like They're not young. They're not old. They're not big. They're not small. They're not fast. They're not slow. They're just kind of in the middle, to me, in every asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like I always... And I think I brought it up in one of the Kings of the Round Table uh, uh, tapings that, you know, what's it going to, Velarde has a bad back at 18. What's it going to be like when Chara hits him? And yeah. you guys rightly said, well, he's not going to play against Chara. And then I was like, okay, how about Bieksa? When yeah. he, or whoever, well, look, a third line D. It's going to be, he's going to be like Rick Nash. Rick well, Nash came in the league with a bad back, but managed to, to manage around that injury and, and and deal with it and trained right and became one of the you know greatest goal scorers of his generation. Never won a cup, but he was a effective player. So I think that's what you're looking at with respect to Gabe Valari. With respect to the team itself, I get the part where the, maybe they're tweeners, but remember, let's go back to the summertime, right? Um, John Tavares actually wanted to come to Los Angeles. Really? Yeah, John Tavares, but they 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 just didn't have the money. John Tavares wanted to come here. Max Patch already wanted to come here. Kovalchuk came here. You know why? Here's why, Earl. Kopitar, Carter, Dowdy, quick. That's what they have. And that's what still makes it them attractive to other teams and all those play and other players. That's why, you know what? Back in the day, nobody would accept that. Remember way back in like when Dean first got here in 2007 before that? I think any this was an outpost. You know, people want to come out here to retire, right? I mean, Jeremy Roney came here. Oh, soft pedal different, right? We and had so, to bribe Hansus. Yeah, four years, yeah. sixteen million off of a torn ACL oh, right. surgery. Right, they signed him off video. Right, so this was an outpost. <laughs> now it's flipped. I mean, Kovalchuk had the choice. He had to go. He could have went to San Jose. He could have went to Dallas. He just chose this case because I can win a Stanley Cup. And and with respect to Kovalchuk specifically, like I mean, that's the Ovechkin effect right i mean ovi came in great goal greatest goal scorer of his generation never won in a big spot couldn't beat sid never won the stanley cup so now kobe's playing over in for you know cska and in the khl sees kobe win party with the stanley cup for a month in moscow right and he said well i want to do the same thing because again kovalchuk's one of the greatest scorers of his generation he's gotten paid what doesn't he have? He doesn't have a Stanley Cup. That's his soul is focused. And he chose Los Angeles. So you see these players like Tavares, like um, Pacioretty, who absolutely wanted to play here, and they just couldn't get the deal done. And Kovalchuk took sign here. So, but, Earl, the window's closing. Like two or three years from now, you know, as Kopitar ages, as Brown ages, as Carter ages, they get to the mid to later 30s. This team is going to have to rebuild. That's why it's so important now for them to be smart with respect to draft and developing. The window's still open. 
you know, I still say, look, you got to anoint San Jose as the favorite in the division because they got Eric Carlson. But can the Kings contend for the division? Yeah. Can they get to the win the division? If they do, they're the two seed. And they have the home ice advantage in two, the first two rounds. Can they get to a conference final? I think they can. I think they're a 100-point team. I'm not sure they're going to the division, but they can make some noise. And I just think that come trade deadline, I still think that they might go get another winger because the the the, uh, the plan was to get Kovalchuk and to get Pacioretty. And that would have been something. I would have loved to have seen that in Los Angeles. Patrick is going to do very well in, in, in Vegas, Earl. So if you're a Kings fan, watch out for that team. I thought they were going to regress a little bit. I don't think so. I watched them play three games now, and they're just as fast as they were. Some challenges on defense because Nate Schmidt's out for 20 for 20 games of being stupid with the steroids, right? Um, and say Theater just got back in the lineup. But I think the Kings got a really good opportunity. I, I think I'm more optimistic than most fans and and I think that there might be an opportunity for them not to make the playoffs. I think they're a 98 to 100 point team because A, um, Carter will be back for a whole season. And I just like the core. When you have Drew Doughty, who's in the in the prime of his career, and you have Jonathan Quick, who still looks great in net, and you have Kopitar coming off, who I thought had the won the MVP. I voted him. I have a vote for the MVP, and I voted him number one. I just think they're so strong down the middle. They're they are pound for pound as good as any team down the middle. The issue is the rest of the team, the balance of the team. Are they as strong as Nashville or Winnipeg? No, they're not. Are they as good as San Jose? They're probably the difference between LA and San Jose is probably going to be the power play, right? So, um, but I just think that they have a great opportunity to be a hundred point team, and and you know, short of going through some you know historical, historically bad offensive round like they did against Vegas, I think they can make some noise in the playoffs. I mean, I look at last year in the playoffs as they just need a little more scoring. They lost four one goal games. Yeah, it's not like they were blown out. Vegas scored the least amount of goals to win a a, uh, a Stanley Cup uh, round um, in history. It's historically, it, it was seven to three, Earl. I mean, I've never seen that. No, you'll never see it again. It was just look one game they missed Dowdy. If Dowdy played that game, they lost in double overtime. It was an epic game. Eric Hollis scored the game winning goal in double overtime. Could that have turned the tide? Yeah, Forbert was hurt. I mean, they had a lot of guys with injury. Dustin Brown, he his shoulder was popping out. You know, every other shift. He um he had to have a shoulder surgery over the weekend so over the summer so yeah it was starting bad so I don't think there's anything has changed I don't think there's going to be any big regression on the team um there's a challenge because you would have added Kovalchuk to add to the goal total now with Dustin Brown out at least for the first month that because they're they're targeting 25 to 30 goals for Kovalchuk and you would think Brown would get 25 to 30 so you get plus 25 from Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk being added, now they're net zero. So what it does, and I've written this a couple of times, I've said it on radio, it puts more pressure on two guys, Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson. They really got to come through. Tyler Toffoli, with his release and his skill, he should be a 30-goal scorer every season. He had 24 last year. I know that Jeff Carter was out and that 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 hurt his production, but fine. Tanner Pearson, you'd like to see 25 to, to 20 to 25. He had 15 last year. Those guys, they can't combine for 39 goals, especially with Brown out for the first month. They're going to have to touch maybe 50 to 55 for this team to be seriously, you know, a dangerous team because that's all they need, Earl. You mentioned that they haven't scored. That's what they needed, and that's when Blake went out and had his um, uh, had his notion of what to, how to do to improve the team. He said it. He, and the one thing about Rob Blake, he stuck to his guns, and, and when he said he's got to make changes – He's done that. He said, 
in April, after the playoff series was over, we need to get better on the wings. We need more scoring in the wings. He went out and got Kovalchuk. He almost got Pacioretty. So he's kept his promises. He knows where this team needs to be better. And coming into the season, they're going to need to be better on the wing. But do I think that they're worse than Anaheim or or Edmonton's going to sneak up on them? No. I think they're, they're a pretty safe bet to get in. And plus, even with the Brown injury, if you look at their schedule for the first month, it's relatively easy. There's a couple of hard games. San Jose oh, out of the box is going to be tough. They got to go up to Winnipeg, but they've got games against Detroit. They've got Montreal and Ottawa. Um, they've got Minnesota. They they don't have a hard schedule. I could see them going seven and four out of the box in the first month, and then it sets them up for to be competitive in the division. All right. Well, we're going to end the Instagram live here. If you want like to listen that. to the rest of Mr. Bernstein, you got to listen on iTunes. But for the young kids watching right now on Instagram, where can people find you online, DB? Okay. Uh, TheFourthPeer.com. I have a column there. Uh, Dennis TFP on Twitter. Uh, that's what, And Dennis TFP on Instagram as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about Kings Hockey, NHL in general. Follow Dennis. He's the man. I love you all. All right. Now, Kovalchuk, you know, I see some King fans go, oh, you're getting a thirty year, mid-30-year-old yeah. old guy. The cupboard's a little bare in terms of pipeline prospects to give away to get a Panarin. Right. Exactly. I thought Kovalchuk was the perfect signing for what they need. Goals. I agree. Well, look, it, it, I would have traded one of the defensemen for Max Pacioretty. One defenseman not named Drew Doughty. I would have gave him Muzzin. I would have gave him Martinez for, for, um, uh, for Max. So that's it. But yeah, I agree with you. That, that's a good... And plus, here's the pitch. All right? Here was the pitch that I know that they made to the team to guys like Kobotone when they talked about signing uh, Pat... Uh, when they started about Kovalchuk. If he's 80% Earl of what he left, when he, when he left, he's going to score 30, 25 to 30 goals. And that's going to be better because what happened um, um, last season was their left wing, the top left, the top wing, the top line left wing was Alex Ayafalo. And he scored nine goals. And if you're a serious cup contender, Earl, you can't score nine goals. Uh, as on your t- with Kopitar and Brown, you can't. Now I think Alex would be better, and I wouldn't be shocked if Alex wound up starting because of the injuries with uh, Kopitar and Brown on opening night. Uh, but he's got to get more than nine. So yeah, I agree with you. They gave up nothing, and the cap hit was it wasn't an ad- it wasn't an outrageous cap hit six point two five for three years. That's great. Like if he's bad this year and bad next year, you buy him out of the third year and you're fine. But I don't think so. If you watch some of the moves he made, the goals he scored in preseason, oh my God. he's got stuff left in the tank. Now he's got to get used to the pace. Um, he's not the fastest skater in the world. I think some nights you'll see that fans will get crazy on Twitter because he'll be beat on the play and be behind the play and the other team will score a goal and people go nuts. But that's not what you got him for. You got him to score a goal. And when you play with Andre Kopitar, if that's eventually where he winds up, you know, Kopi makes up for a lot of mistakes. He's such a great defensive player. You know, and, and again, when you have a team who had the best defense in the league last year, John Quick won the Jennings Trophy. They're not going to regress to be 20th unless they have a rash of injuries. Now, Drew's going to play his 27, 28 minutes a night. Um, Quick, I assume, is going to play 55 to 60 games and be great. Uh, and I just think that this team is going to regress defensively. So if they do get Brown back healthy and they do get um, Kovalchuk to 25 to 30, 
they're going to be a better team. They're going to win more games. And I think the key is, I'm probably going to write this in a column this week, is that if you look at their record last year, they were really good against the East. They had more wins against the... No team in the West had more wins against the Eastern Conference than the Kings. You know what happened? The Kings sucked against the, the, the Pacific Division. The last two years, that's what cost them division titles. They haven't... They've been under 500 against the, the, the Pacific, and that's four-point games. That's why Vegas wins it, because they were so good in the division. That's why San Jose got ahead of them, because they were better in the division. If the Kings are better against the division, because even teams like Edmonton and, and Arizona gave them trouble last year. If they improve inside the division, they can absolutely win the, the Pacific, which I think is a huge thing for them. I think other teams, maybe it's not so important, but for them, I think it's really important to win the division. So I, I know that's what they're shooting for, but I think if they can get better play against the Pacific division foes, that they can win the division, and then they could be very dangerous. I mean, my only concern is, you know, when we got Lucic, I thought on paper, that's going to be the best first line in hockey. The, right. The power of Lucic, the two-way play of Kopitar, and the speed of Gabrick. I mean, right. who are you going to cover? Right. And it just it didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, well, Gabrick, um, uh, and I, you know, Gabrick's I, still hurt, I think, <laughs> allegedly. He could get hurt playing Nintendo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and my... Fear with Kovalchuk is it's. I'm a Steeler fan. I've seen it every game this year that Roethlisberger has so much pressure on him to get the ball to Antonio Brown. Right. You know, I just worry that we got to get Kovalchuk for the one timer. You know, yeah. and they didn't seem to have the greatest chemistry in preseason. No, they didn't, and and that's why I think you saw Stevens go um, Carter, Kovalchuk, and Kempe. You know, I think what what, what? it was the first Anaheim game that they played, uh, or the Vegas game, it was shocking. I was like, wait a minute, Carter, Kovalchuk, and Kempe? But to be honest with you, that actually is a good line, Earl, to be honest with you, because you could put Kempe in the middle and Carter could play the right wing, because I've always thought that Carter would be fantastic on right wing. He won't have to put the hard minutes in at center. He won't have to take face-offs. Kempe likes the middle of the ice. And Carter, could, you know, Carter with the speed coming off that right wing, getting set up, I think, look, he's... As pure a goal scorer on this team as anybody. I think number one would be Defoli, but number two is Jeff Carter. And to give Carter relief from the pivot duties to go on the right wing, I think he'd love it. I think he'd flourish in it. So I'm not shocked at it. But yeah, Kovacuk has to find his spot on the team. You would have thought it had been Kopitar and Brown. It's not because, first of all, I mean, Kopi probably doesn't know who his wingers are coming into opening night yet. You probably have to watch the practices this week to figure out who the winger's going to be. But I, I think that Kovalchuk's got to find a spot, but he just, he still has this talent. He still has the move. He's big. He's strong. He's been training. I, I can't see how he doesn't score 25 to 30 if he's going to play 80, 82 games. Yeah, I mean, he's still got the shot. I mean, there Absolutely. were a few one-timers I saw. I was like... Okay. Yeah, it's gonna and that stuff's gonna and look, they're going. Everybody's going half speed in the preseason, so I, it's not that. But you see those flashes where you say, okay. And I, the one move he made, I think, I think it was against Vegas in that blowout game. Couple, yeah, the I'm, second I saw goal. that one move. I'm like, if I had any doubts, I ain't got no doubts. The guy can play in the league. He still, he still has elite skill. We'll see what happens. We'll see if the chemistry. And look, if he's with Carter or for or Kopitar. I mean, that's one and one A. He's going to get 25 to 30 if he's on his game. And from what I see on the ice, he's still got the skill. So I don't think there's any reason. I would be shocked if he doesn't get to 25. If he doesn't, Earl, then the team's going to have some challenges. Well, just for laughs, I would love to see a line of uh, Kopitar, Kempe, and Kovalchuk for the KKK line. <laughs> I'll sign for that. And you might, hey, Earl, you might see that. I mean, you I, might see that. You might see Cope, uh, Kempe on left wing. And, you know, Kovalchuk's a left-hand shot, a right-hand shot who plays left wing. 
But if you put him on the right side with a right-hand shot, and he's been on the right side a little bit in, in training camp, you can absolutely see that. It's not an awful line. I no, mean, and then you can reunite the 70s, that 70s line. You, you do have that. Carter, Toffoli, and Pearson, Kovalchuk, Kempe, and, and uh, Kopitar. Yeah, you could, it could happen. Well, here's the big hole now. You know, I think the, those six forwards we just named are, are right. in some capacity going to be the first two lines. Correct. And I think so many people have just given Velarde his spot on the third yeah, line. right. And now that that I know he's skating and he's, he's, yeah, he's shooting pucks gear. with the, he's in full gear. He's not taking contact yet, but it's going to be a while, Earl. So I don't think you can camp pencil. I, I don't expect them to be on the ice this month. I, I think that you're going to probably have. I mean, Earl. First of all, what's the rush, right? I mean, no, what they could do is they'll, they'll probably keep Austin Wagner on the team, um, and I think you might see a little bit of a combo with. Uh, Jared Anderson, Dolan, and Austin Wagner some nights. Not against the San Jose or Winnipeg, but maybe against a Detroit or an Ottawa. Give the kids a couple of games. And I think with respect to Anderson Dolan, people have asked me online about what what his future is with respect to the nine-game threshold and you you burn your ELC. I think fans have to realize that I think the trends change there. You burn one year on your ELC if you play more than nine games that 10th game. But once you go hit the 40-game plateau – uh, you earn one year of service towards free agency. And that's what Gene's look at. So you're, you're, you have to play seven seasons to get to free agency. If you play 40 games, if Jared Anderson Dolan plays 40 games, then he has six years to go before free agency. In a year where salary caps are important, and in an era when salary caps are important, and you need players to come in and, and be inexpensive, I think that's what GMs look at. So I don't think the Kings would have any problem burning Anderson Dolan's uh, Entry level year for first year on his contract. Uh, if he's effective and he's and he's score and he looks like he's a keeper and he plays because you know Earl, these kids look good and then the, the real games start right where where you know Brett Burns going to come at you full force and Eric Carlson's going to f- skate at full speed right and Joe Thornton's going to be hard to defend on the power play. So it, it, while these kids look good and I I agree I, I agree with you on Wagner, Anderson Dolan is tenacious. You mentioned Mike Richards. I see that tenacity at like a Mike Richards when he plays. He is so determined to be in the NHL. He's put up big numbers at Spokane and WHL. Not sure because of the side if he's just yet ready, but he's going to be on the team. He's probably going to be 13th forward and now the 12th forward with the Brown injury. So you might see a little bit of a duo. So I, I think the the one refreshing thing if you're a Kings fan is that there is talent coming. There are skilled players on this in this organization who are coming. Uh, and it wasn't the case three, four years ago. It was good soldiers who were two-way players who didn't have a lot of skill but never made mistakes. Uh, maybe Daryl sort of scared the offense out of all these players. I don't know. But it, it's different now. I think that you'll get an opportunity. I think eventually, if Alardi's back, you'll see him in some games. So I think that's one good thing is that you can, when you have such a great core, you can sprinkle in these kids. And that's what teams like San Jose do. Because they have that, they could always rely on that core of Pavelski and Couture and back in the day, Marlowe and Joe Thornton. They could sprinkle in the you know the the, uh, the Kevin LeBanks and the Jonas Don scores. Now you're starting to see that with respect to LA is that they're not just grinders on the bottom six line. You, I think the most exciting thing if you're a Kings fan this year is to look at that third line and all the possible combinations they are. This is not you know the back in the day when you just had you know like a Brad Richardson or a Jared Stoll or or wingers who were like you know like a, a 
and I love Trevor Lewis. And I think he's you know a, a glue guy and a part of a championship team. But you're going to have skill played on on those third lines, and that's things that we've not really seen in, and certainly not in the Dean Lombardi era. But I think we'll see it in the, in the Rob Blake era. Where that third line will be dangerous and will be have opportunities to score. They won't end up being the best defensive players in the world. But again, I think that you can't you have one line. If you need to stop somebody, you throw Nate Thompson out there, and you throw him out there with Trevor Lewis, who are two good checkers, and you throw him out with with um, with Kyle Clifford. So I think that bottom four, that that bottom three is really set. But I think the thing that differentiates this team, hopefully the season, is that you're going to see more productivity from the third line because there's better players, there's younger players, there's faster players on that line. Uh, do you think that's the influence of Vegas? How they just rolled? I've I've watched hockey for probably forty years, uh, which I feel really old saying that. Yes, I don't recall a team ever rolling four lines like Vegas did consistently. Yeah. I mean, it's every team now. You know how, like, when the Kings won with bigger teams, people, we got to get bigger, and then yeah. Pittsburgh won. Do you think now the model is going to be we have to roll four lines? It's a copycat league now. I, I think so because, again, and we always talk about Vegas, and we don't talk enough about the team that actually won the cup, right? <laughs> they had big goals from Jay Beagle and Devontae Smith-Pelly. I mean, so those aren't like those speed burners, but those are quality players down there. So I think so, Earl. I think that that you have to – I think you really have to have a longer look at players because a, a guy like Alex Tuck, right? He was a first round pick in Minnesota. Just didn't click, didn't get a long enough look. He wound up going, you know, the Carlson, William Carlson thing is an anomaly. Look, he scored 41, 42 goals. He shot 25%. Now maybe he shoots 25% again this year and goes 40, but he's probably going to score 30. So is that issue? Yeah. I think that it's, it's not even the rolling the four lines or it's the tempo. It's like that team fucking skates fast all the time they move the back they have puck moving defensemen you know they don't have any slow defensemen earl that's the issue is they they move it they get out of the zone and not only that earl look with respect to vegas they ambushed people last year right nobody saw them coming because the first 20 games earl there was no tape on that team right there's no video you couldn't scout them like you these guys just thrown together there was no video on them Right, so they had the element of surprise. Well, guess what? When you go to the Stanley Cup final and you see all your games are on TV, there's no surprise anymore, Earl. That's the issue. So they open up at home and then they go on a like a five or six game road trip with some tough games in the East, you know, in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Let's see the first six games. I want to see what Vegas does. I'm really interested because look, they got better with Pacioretty and Stasny, no doubt. Right, I, I watched them and I think oh, I think this team might regress. They're not a hundred point nine point team. I saw them three times this year. They're fast and they're good. But I want to see how they handle being kind of a top dog now. It's like it, it, now when they go to Pittsburgh, that's not a little game. That's a big game for Pittsburgh. That's a big game when they go into Philly. This team has got so much notoriety and so much publicity from the run they had and how they when they were in a Cup final. I mean, Earl, the great thing about Vegas is that you know they made pre the pregame presentation a thing. Like NBC Sports Network was was carrying the pregame presentation when he put on all that that staging, all that great notoriety. I mean, all that that great entertainment. So this is now a big game for team for teams. So I think that's it. So the element surprise is gone with Vegas. You know what you're going to face when you play them, right? They're they're going to be hurt a little bit on defense to start the season because Schmidt's out with that suspension. And if heaven forbid, if Marc Andre Fleury got hurt somehow. I'm not gonna. I don't know how they would do that act again when they're getting down to the fourth string goalie and still win teams. But 
to answer your original question, yeah, I think that it's about tempo. That's what you take away from Vegas. And I think you look at that third line. You look at players like Eric Hall, who scored 29 goals. You can't have stoppers on the third line. You want to have a stopper on the fourth line, maybe. If your guys can't contribute offensively on the third line, then you're not going to be a contender. And I think that's what Vegas shifted the barrel time with respect to the, the speed and tempo that you play, having all mobile defensemen on the blue line, and then just having quality players on the third line. Well, even a guy like Reeves was popped in a few. Yeah. You know, yeah, which I opportunistic. think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, which. He stands in front of the net and there's all good and it's, it's a stick and it goes in the net. So yeah, he fit in well because he, he didn't, he didn't make bad plays. He didn't make those, those for him, characteristic bad penalties, right? Or got out of control. He stayed within the team concept and didn't really make bad plays. He wasn't, so, you know, when, when players take those bad penalties, it's really selfish. It's like, and I'm not going to try to run down Drew Doughty here, but I, I asked John Stevens about, um, about Drew's temper sometimes. You know, there's that video of him going nuts in the, um, in the penalty box after one game. And the statement he made about Vegas, there's no way to be better than him. And just, you know, sometimes he threw a stick up in the air and took penalties, unsporting iconic penalties, and it hurt the team. And and so, you know, it's, it's John said, it's not a question of, you know, curbing his enthusiasm, but it's just, you know, what point in time do you, do you tone it down? Like, you don't want to sting his deflation. You just want to tone it down sometimes. So with respect to Reeves, when he came over, people, oh, this guy's a goon. He's going to take a stupid penalty at the wrong time. It's going to cost them a game, and they're going to lose a series. He didn't do that. He wised up. Now, maybe it's coaching. It's maybe Gerard Gallant's a great player's coach. So he he understood, and he got in with the program, is that you can a player like that can be effective in this league Like if you don't take those dumb penalties. You can't let your, get your temper. And, you know, most of those guys have short fuses. You can't let the short fuse go you into a penalty that can hurt your team in the playoffs. He never hurt the team in the playoffs or down the stretch. Well, I mean, I'm a King fan for life, but I root a little bit for Vegas Uh-oh. just because... Bandwagon. No, no, no. They could have lost every game last year. I am such a George McPhee fan oh, as, yeah. a, as a player. Mm-hmm. A Hobie Baker award winner. Yep. But he realized even back then he probably wasn't skilled enough to... Right. Stick. And he was uh, basically a, a smaller version of Clifford. Like, yep. fight Agreed. anybody. Yep. Tough cat. Fight Tough guys, cat. Barry Beck size, and usually would win. Um, but it's no shock that the team is is good because, you know, one thing that, look, George never won a cup in Washington. But what he did was he always put entertaining products on the ice. And they choked in the second round of the playoffs, and they finally got over the hump last year. But he always assembled a skilled team that was entertaining to watch. So it's no shock. When, when when I was interviewed this time last year about the team, I go, look, I don't think they're going to be any good. But I know over time, Georgia put an entertaining product that people will come to see um, on the ice there. Now, granted, it happened in one year, and it's a miracle. And, and Earl, I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of root for the team, too. I mean, I, I love Vegas. I'm, one day I might want to live in there. But when I go into an arena on Saturday night, and it's a preseason game or Friday night against Los Angeles, and there's 17,928 people loud in a, in a preseason game in that building, that's a testament to the fans to the organization and to the team that, that they've really found something. So it's hard not to root for that team. And I know that there's some King fans saying like, oh, they're bandwagon fans. I'm like, they've been in existence for one year. Who did you want them to root for two years ago? You can't be a bandwagon fan. I mean, you know, and plus there was, look, I think there was Destiny took a hand because, you know, I was there opening night just a week after October 1 happened in Vegas. And I, I just, look, I'm an emotional guy. I was in tears. The way they tri- they handled that 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 tragedy and honor the fifty eight who who perished on that night. I think that 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 was a, a kind of a, 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 a 
that that helped unite the, the team. And I have friends in Vegas on that unite the city saying that then, you know, we've never had anything to root for from a, from a sports standpoint for a long time. You can go back to Ter Jerry Tarkanian and the running rebels. That's the last time that team could rally around a, t a team. And so now you go back, you go ahead 30 years, entertaining team coming out of nowhere, the golden misfits, the, the, you know, how they treated the tragedy that kind of galvanized the city and united everybody. I just think it was just, a, you couldn't have scripted it any better. So now this year is the, you know, it's great expectations sometimes are really can burden teams. So I, there's so much expectations for this team this year. Like, you know, can they repeat? Like, is it just a flash in a pan? Can they get 109 points again? Can they, some people picking them to win the cup are all, I mean, not me, but some people are saying that they, they're going to go and win the cup. So I just think that um, you can't not root for that franchise because of what it means to that city and how they've just devised the strategy and came out of nowhere and picked all these guys. Because, you know, Earl, there's, if you go and Google the columns of this time last year, places like Deadspin and like, this could be conceivably the worst expansion team in the history of sports. Guess what? A lot of people were wrong. I mean, I never thought that because I don't think that this was a typical expansion team where two teams come in, so you have yeah, to split. It's two. You're right. I think that helped. Uh, you know, instead of them picking James Neal and say the Perron going to the other right. expansion team, they got both. Right, they got both. Um, yep. You know, Seattle will. Experience. And they got Flurry. I mean, that's the one thing that, that I think it, it, you don't get a two-time Stanley Cup winning goalie who's still in his prime very often. Right, and so I think that was the whole thing. Is they they made a choice. They wanted to go with Matt Murray. I get it. I understand it. But the fact that they got Murray uh, Flurry and he came out the first day at the expansion jet wearing that jersey, I think it just followed from there because I know the kid. He's a quality kid. Everybody knows him. He's a great guy. Blah blah blah. But I think that was e even at the start, him being the first pick. I'm going okay. Well, they're going to be if he's healthy, they're going to be good in goal. I said they're going to be able to play some defense. Now look, Nate Schmidt was was good in Washington, but not to the extent Braden McNabb here in Los Angeles. Like, I thought he should have stayed. I thought they should have let Forbert go. But he was solid, right? Um, the guys from Florida, you know, look, Florida's a mess. They gave away two great players in Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall. So and it was ridiculous. The William Carson thing, that's once in a generation. I mean, you know, the guy scored six goals in Columbus. I mean, now he, he put up 42. So you don't see that. So I agree with you, Earl. I think that one team coming in did help. But they they did their homework. They had, you know, it's like it, you didn't think so, but George McPhee had a plan. And he executed it perfectly. So anybody wants to detract from that, like they went out, they had a strategy, they had a plan, they executed it, and they reaped the benefits of going to the Stanley Cup final. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would have loved for the Kings to keep McNabb just because, uh, and I'm going to date myself here. <laughs> I even think I mentioned this guy's name on uh, Kings of the Round Table. Uh, McNabb reminds me of a bigger Michelle Petit. Mm -hmm. You know, leave, leaves his position to make the big hit. Yep. Decent skills, yep. uh, but I guess you know it came down between him and Forbert. Hey, when he traded for McNabb, he was supposed to be a top four defenseman. He wound up being a top pair defenseman. Now, and they got some good play. Look, Shea, they lucked out with Shea Theodore. I mean, the problem is that it's not like that. it's like these teams have too many good prospects, and the way they set up with respect to the how many players you could protect and and the like and it was only like back in the day you could protect what fifteen players or it's yeah. a lot more players. So look, does the league want them to be good yeah of course they do i mean do they root for like i i got it was so it was funny because you know as we got to the playoffs people said well the the the, the um the rules were in their favor what they were set up to win i'm like 
Nobody said that in October. When he looked at that team and he saw William Carlson as a top-line center and Eric Holler, who's a third-line player in Minnesota, that was all BS. I, 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 told, I call BS on all those people. You didn't know that. It, these are people who had were bitter because this team found a way to win, found a way to be entertaining, um, and just beat everybody at their own game. So I just don't believe that the the, the rules were so skewed in their favor that, that they were set up to win. They were clearly not set up to win. They, they found – look – they got two top line players and the coach from Florida. If, they, if you want to blame anybody for them last year, blame the Florida Panthers. Well, and I also thought they had a rough hand dealt to them with the, I, I might be mispronouncing this kid's oh, name. Sherpachev. Who was the? Sherpachev. That was close enough. Uh, That's I mean, the one free agent they went after. He was supposed to be like, wow, one they game. got this guy? Bust. Busteru. But, you know, I like McPhee's. Yeah. Uh, like, hey. He went for it. We're sending you down. You don't like it. Beat it. Exactly. Yeah. Beat you know, it. That's I, it. I don't have time for that BS. I like that Belichick style of totally. It's our way, kid. Yeah. That's how you that's how you build a culture, Earl. It's like no excuses. Like you don't want to go down and you're not good enough to play right now. You think you deserve a spot. It doesn't work like that. So I I totally get that. And and yeah, that's great. Yeah, they were it wasn't they earned every they earned every win, Earl. They did. They play at, because this team. I've watched them last year early, and I'm like, oh shit! This team never gives up a. Th they never give up a shift. They are tenacious. They come at you. They don't. Uh, from from the moment the puck drops to the final buzzer, that team was tenacious. More as as tenacious as any team I saw. So granted, and they may have not been them. Look, Earl. Pound for pound, they weren't better than Winnipeg. There's no way. They're not better than Winnipeg, but they beat them. Now, look, Winnipeg had a brutal seven-game series against Nashville. They were out of gas by the time I got it. But this team was not the second-best team talent-wise. So they earned everything they got because they were tenacious. They had a great coach, um, and they found, a, a, they found a strategy that helped them win games last year. Well, I will say the only thing that surprised me was the fan base from the standpoint of I've done comedy in Vegas, and yeah. like the casinos – and any resorts or hotels that you're doing stand-up in, they want the shows over actually a lot shorter than, say, an L.A. comedy show because they want people in the casinos. Right. They want people gambling. Yeah. They don't want people watching a hockey game or a comedy show. Right. So I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of tough to throw them into that, you know. It is, except Earl, people forget that Vegas just is in the Strip, and there's 2 million people there. And there's houses, and there's schools, and there's churches, and there's synagogues. It's a community there. And it's got a pretty decent um, um, amateur hockey base right now. And not only that, Earl, I think that the one thing that – and you showed it early in the year – it's a lot of people who re relocated from the north and the east. They all know hockey. So when you show early in the season when Chicago and Detroit were in the building, how loud it was for, um, for the visitors' teams in October – that changed, Earl. When this team got good and they started winning, like, you know, you expect it in, in like, when they played the Kings. You expect, all right, 25, 30% of the building's going to be L.A. Nope. It was maybe 5%. And on that, Earl, you heard Vegas Golden Knight fans in Staples Center for games three and four. Like, you heard go Knights go. I mean, I mean, so come on. So I get that, but I thought it was, and I've been on the air in Vegas for 15 years on the radio, and I said, look, all you got to do is build an arena. A, a great arena on the strip and people will come. And, you know, back in the day, eight, probably 800,000 people in Vegas. Now it's 2 million. So I was sort of be successful. If you put it, look, you got a, a visible owner, you got a smart GM, a great arena on the strip. 
And look, did they luck into a team that, that captured everybody's imaginations? Absolutely did. But I always thought they would be set up to win because it, it's a big city and they had nothing to rally around. So now they rally around this team. Now, eventually the Raiders are going to come in. Uh -oh. Eventually. <laughs> Watch out. Right. Eventually the NBA will come in because I'm sure the NBA is looking. They're probably going, oh, crap. We like we blew this one. We should have been first in the market. But um, there's, a, there's a dedicated fan base who, even if the team, let's say they they were ninth this year and they had injuries and they make it, they still have a legitimate fan base because it's entertaining because they make it fun. They make it entertaining. The game, that entertainment's great. So there's a lot of things that this checks the box. I think the biggest thing is the arena, right? I mean, you can be, and this is like, you know, Earl, you go to Staples Center. I live in Encino, right? It's an hour and 15 minutes to get down to the fucking parking lot, right? With no traffic. Right, exactly. Vegas, 20 minutes from Summerlin or from Anthem or from wherever. And these are people who know the game. It's a, it's not a lot of education. It's not, I'll give you an example, Earl. If they ever put a team in Houston, they're going to have to educate that city about right. Pocky. This not so much because, again, most of these people, if you go to the season ticket holders, they come from Boston or Chicago or or Canada, whatever. A lot, a lot of people I talked to knew the game. They weren't getting educated. And not only that, they had their kids coming to the game. So there's already a second and third generation of, of, of kids and, and families attending the game. So I think they're totally set up to win. There's always pressure to win. I think, I think more so maybe in that city than anywhere else because right now it's a hot ticket, Earl. Again, 18,000 people for a preseason game. I, and I heard they sold out the game. I go, let me go out there myself and see if it's legit. Earl, it was as loud as a playoff game. Right, and it was a good game. It was one nothing. They wound up one and two nothing against the Kings. But I'm not shocked about anything with respect to um, uh, the attendance and how the team's um, been welcomed by the city. It was the first professional franchise in the city. I always thought they were set up to win. I wasn't a detractor. I know about those people in the third shift, and it's a, you know. I, Earl, there's a, if you go 10 minutes off the strip, you don't know what's the strip, right? And I think that's the thing is that this is a vibrant, big, growing community with no state taxes, with no traffic. So I think, if anything, there's going to be more people moving to Vegas, more hockey fans. And I think they have, they're going to have a very firm fan base for a long time. Well, and I want to be careful how I say this because being a comic, I don't want people to think I'm kidding. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that the horrible shooting mm – -hmm. And them being the first sports pro sports team there, it was like they had something to take their minds off of it. They did I, it, briefly. I mean, they, they it was treated with the proper respect, Earl. They they brought out first respond. I was there opening night. They brought out first responders. Right, it it was something that they could focus on and just you know they wanted to pay respects to people who lost their lives that that tragic day, and they handled it with the proper respect and proper tone. And they raised a banner up that night with 58 stars to, to honor the dead. And I think it was just handled so well. And so, so it, it was handled so well that I think it, it did help the, the city heal that night. It, it, that was the closure to everybody named because I think their first game was October 8th. And that, that was closure that everybody got. Now, the people who lost their lives, their families may never get closure, but for the city itself that was so wounded, and you would never think that something would happen like that in Vegas. I, I think it was it was good for the city. It was good for the team. It certainly helped the team, uh, but I think it, what it did, it gave everybody some closure and proper, and they treated it with the proper respect, and I think it only helped the team, and I do think it, it helped unite the city. I think that, you know, once the Stanley Cup playoffs rolled around, that's, you know, you're six, seven months away from that, but I think at that time, um, it could have went a couple of different ways and just the way that uh, you know from the top from bill foley and the organization how they handled that uh, a very difficult time uh, i think they handled it flawlessly and i think it's part of the reason that they were just uh, embraced at that point in time well i mean i think one of the things that it didn't help me get over 9 11 but like uh took my mind off of it for a 
couple hours or you know a couple days was when the rangers and sabers yep they were the first pro uh, yep. sporting uh, event in new york and yep. just i never forget the uh sabers wore shirts that said new york across it yep. and it is uh pretty amazing how hockey it did sports it, in general can can help heal Absolutely. Like, I mean, ESPN just had that tribute to, to 9-11. They had that story. And they had the, the night when um, when Messi went out there with the fireman's hat right. on. I mean, that was just like, even then I'm tearing up watching it. And this is, you know, how many years removed from that. So I just think that as a heal, that was healing. And obviously when the Mets came back and, and um, Mike Piazza hit that home run, that game-winning home run, that was another. But that's what you do. And then George Bush came out for the World Series and threw the first pitch. I, I, that's what sports does sometimes when we have very – bad day and even not even to that depth like when you have a bad day at work or to have oh, a bad sure. day right you go to a game you scream and yell for your team whatever the kings whoever it doesn't matter it, it's a great relief it gets you it gets all your frustration out you go have a beer you yell at your thing and then this guy sucks and it's great and it, it's a great outlet for for people so i just think that but in in those depthful times like you know sports player there there are heroes Right, and so when we have a tragedy, we look to our to our heroes. We look to like a Mark Messi back in the day, or a Mike Piazza, whoever the case may be. Or we look at just to a team, a brand new team, a sparkling brand new team in Vegas that help us get through times. And I think sports does that in its finest, Earl. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff with sports. There's drugs. There's you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now with the the anthem protest. But when at its best, it helps heal people when times are tough and times are bad we look towards our heroes to some consolation and, and some healing and hope and you get that from that night and from other nights and you get that from you know and i was in, in the arena uh, you know opening night in vegas and it's just like reassurance that like okay this was a terrible tragedy and we need to heal ourselves but everything will be okay life will go on um and you don't have to live in fear and i just saw that it was a very very emotional night very touching as a matter of fact i have a panoramic uh, photo in my office of that opening night because that was very very impactful for me it's one of the things that you know look i've had a i've had the 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 great joy and, and luck to to be on the ice when the kings won the cup twice and last year every year i kind of do a pilgrimage i try to be on the ice for the last game of the season but th that night in vegas opening night last year because of what happened on october one that's going to stay with me forever and because of the way that whole night was staged and how people came on the ice and how we just everybody grieved and then just went on and you know as the script went, Vegas Golden Knights, the first game in, the, in their history, they scored four goals in the first period. You could, I mean, you couldn't script I it any remember. better. It was just amazing. It was just like it was out of a Hollywood movie script. Also, I, I think when, when when we have these tough times, we turn to sports because I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm on Twitter and people criticize me and say I'm not a good writer and whatever and stuff like that. But Earl, the bottom line is when you watch TV, and I can't even watch the the local news anymore because it's somebody getting killed or stabbed or or Trump's talking about some crap or whatever. <laughs> right? It, it's like we're in the toy aisle of life. That's what we are in sports. So it's not that important. So I can take the heat. I can take the criticism of people think I don't know shit or they think they know more than me, right? Because I understand this is fun and games, Earl. This is not serious. I mean, it's serious for the players. You know, Dustin Brown sitting at home with a bandage on his, his finger right now is, is, you know, and his finger's probably hurting like a motherfucker. But, you know, it's like, so it's serious for this, but, but it's the toy aisle. It's what we are. It's like, so when we, we talk about that, it's like, it's refreshing. It's an escape for us all. So I get the fans getting crazy in us because- Earl, I'll be honest with you, in 2018, we need the distraction sometimes from the real life. And so that's why it's a privilege. And that's why there's, there's nights like that night in Vegas that, that will always stay for me forever because I saw how impactful that was to, to the community and to people um, that were really devastated by a tragedy. Oh, I mean, I, 
I've always loved uh, England, the the captain of, of the Knights, but yep. that, that speech he gave. Amazing. Short, but... Yep. Uh, Poignant to the point. He lives there. Yeah. And even uh, Roberto Luongo, when Parkland happened, same thing. He made a great speech in, for, at, at the Panthers home arena that, after that happened. And it's, it's what we look for. It's we look... And those... I mean, Luongo was a star, but Derek England is not a star player, right? He's not. He's just, he's just a grinder. He's, he's really... Like probably a third pair defenseman masquerading as a second pair defenseman on, on Vegas, so he's not the star player that that you know that William Carlson is or James Neal was or Max Pacioretty is. But he's he's part of the community. He's lived there. He grew up there. He found his wife there. It's just he there's not a better more, more I guess prepared person to make that speech that night in the context of a hockey game than Derek Ireland. And now he's one of my heroes because of that night. Yeah. It's just you know it, it just to stand up there and it takes. Some bravery, you know. It's it's hard to stand in front of a slap shot from Alexander Ovechkin and block it as a defenseman like Derek England. But it was just as brave to stand up there that night and make that speech as as brief as it was to assure everybody that everything was okay. Well, sorry, the TV's on. You know, I'm a one man okay. operation here. Kavanaugh. Mm. Let's go. Um, well, you know, I cried. I bid on one of the jerseys from the Saber Rangers game. You did, okay. I won two of them. Of course, I thought, oh, I'll bid on two. I'll get one. Right. And you know, the proceeds went to the firefighters of and, course. and police. And I won the Eric Bolton jersey. Oh, really? Okay. He, he of ended course. up, <laughs> of course. Of course. He That's ended up fighting Sandy McCarthy. Okay. And uh, oh, Sandy McCarthy was a tough. Whoa. Well, the great thing was he was you know, a badass. They made twenty jerseys for each team, so forty jerseys combined. Right. No authentics were ever made. Mm -hmm. And for the month between the that game and the auction, the jerseys sat unwashed. In a pile in Madison Square Garden. No shit. So I get the Bolton jersey and I open it up and I cried like yeah. Sure. I just touch. I mean, this is gonna sound really gay, but like just <laughs> just touching it. I, I'm all about aura. Yeah, right. I get it. And I, I just I, I I started crying and I wanted to wear the jersey so bad that night to a comedy show. Mm -hmm. I put it on. It smelled <laughs> horrific. <laughs> You know how bad jerseys can uh, smell terrible. after one game. Oh, oh, awful. So imagine 40 sitting shirts in, right. sitting in a pile for a month. <laughs> and I I don't want to imagine that at all. I couldn't have gotten laid in that jersey if, it, yeah. on uh, a thousand milligrams of Viagra. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is. And I met Eric Bolton the next season. I said, hey, you know, I bought your jersey from that game. He's like, I'll give you 10 grand for it. No shit. Really? And I'm like, I can't. Really? I, I and he was like, I'll donate. I said, I, I can't. Like, I get it. I and get I've it. gotten it's an emotional attachment you have to this game. There's something unique about this game, Earl. There's an emotional attachment. It really is. I think I think it's the players. I, I people ask me why I cover the sport, and I've been in you know baseball locker rooms and basketball locker rooms and stuff like that. But I think it's just a process which they go through to get to the NHL, where their first agent sometimes is their mom and their dad. They ride buses. We always, you know, the humble tragedy always, you know, I, I think about that, those poor kids. Run. But, you know, you ride buses 14 hours a day to, in juniors to get there. I think by the time you finally get to the NHL and you're staying at the Four Seasons and they're carrying your, your equipment bag, you want something from me? You want an autograph? You need an interview? Fine, no problem. I, it just these players are just just so amazing. With 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 rare exceptions, there's one or two bad eggs. Oh, there's Definitely. like you know an Avery type. Yeah, it's an Avery or Brown uh, or whatever. But 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 these players are just so amazing that that's what that's why I cover this game. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm blessed. I become friends with some of the players. I understand that, but I just think that they're they're such down to earth people. Even though you know. Uh, 
And, you know, Copertown makes 10 million. Drew's going to make 11 next year. I mean, they're rich people, right? Don't get me wrong. They have nice houses. They're set for life. But um, they're just really dudes sometimes. It's like when you want to talk to a player and you have build up a relationship with them. And, hey, can I get your cell phone? We can text. They go, yeah, no problem, man. It's like some of these guys, and it's more the Canadian guys that aren't the stars. Like, I'll tell you, Earl, when I started covering this game back in like 95, 96, all these guys wanted to do was get enough money to go back home to Canada and open up a bar and 10 bar. <laughs> That's what they were so simple and easy to deal with. Um, granted, now, granted, hockey doesn't have the cachet that the NBA or the NH and, and NFL has, so it's diff it's a different level, right? But I just think these these players don't – there's no expectation. Like, they don't think they're – there's no entitlement. That's what I get from these players, that there's no entitlement. Most of them – and you and I get to go down before the game and, you know, after games and stuff like that. You see the family room. There's always family units. Now, maybe it's sociologically because, you know, look, the NBA players, a lot of these guys come out of one-parent families. Here you see family units. You see that there's wives and kids and stuff like that. Some of the, the funnest parts of being downstairs, not even talking to players, is seeing the families that you know and saying hi and saying hello and the, the moms and the dads come down from Canada or from overseas and, and hang out and stuff like that. You see the moms and dads trips. Right. Sometimes it happens in baseball, but you always see that. And there's, there's just such a sense of – and I think it goes back to Vegas, what we talked about, Earl. It's a sense of community in this in this, in this this game. It's always a sense of community that these these players care about their families. I know I get to know families. I get to see how, how grounded everybody is. And I just think that that's part – that's why I cover this game because I just think as a group, these players are so phenomenal. They're so – like they're giving and they do stuff that nobody ever knows about. Like if I needed a stick for a charity event from Andre Kopitar, could I, could I ask him for one and would he give me one without question? If I needed a signed glove from Dustin Brown for something, could I do it? Yeah, I could do it. So I just think that these players are just so unassuming. They have, there's no sense of entitlement. So that's why I cover this sport. It's a great game to watch. I love it. It's competitive. The Stanley Cup is by far the hardest trophy to win in professional sports. But it goes, boils for me, boils down to the players. They're just a phenomenal group. And I feel a privilege to be able to cover them every night. Well, I just... You know, sometimes when you see a quarterback get a late hit, you'll see maybe an offensive lineman give the guy a light yeah. shove. I know last night in the Steeler game, James Conner got hit out of bounds, and I just saw like a couple Steelers just kind of just look. Yeah. Uh, you know, even today at the gym, I'm watching an old Ranger clip, and this is why I love hockey, and it involves George McPhee. Ron Greshner has the puck in the corner. Ed Hospodar comes, cross-checks him in the head. <laughs> Who's the first guy to go after Hospodar? Not Beck, not Marois, not one of the Maloney brothers. It was McPhee. Yep. And McPhee dropped his gloves, even though Hospodar probably had oh, 40 four inches and 40 pounds yeah. on him, and McPhee kicked his ass. <laughs> and you you don't, like basketball, same thing. You know, basketball has no fights. You don't, but I mean, you don't they even see like a hard foul, just a dirty look. Like yeah. hockey, there's such a camaraderie of, you don't mess with our guy. Yeah. You're going to hit our star player? It's a player? much more passionate sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It's what it is. You're going to hit our star player? You're going to hit Kopitar? Like, who was it that hit Kopitar? I think it was England. Yeah. It was in Calgary. Yeah. Hit Kopitar behind the play. And again, La, in his very brief tenure with the Kings, yeah. he had no skin in this. No, no. He was. He was if anything, he was he more had, loyal to Calgary. Calgary right. Just because right. of his, his. And I'm sure him and England are friends. Yep. He went to England. He's like, for that. no, right. You're you not going to hit him, right? And you just don't see that in other sports. No, you don't see that. In other and you're right. The, the it's a different breed. The charitable contributions. Uh, I know several players who go to the children's hospital 
They don't want any cameras around. No, no. They'll go there on their off days. Right. And they'll talk, just sit talk there. Talk to the kids. No cameras. No. No publicists. Don't need that. Uh, and so it just, hockey players are just a breed apart. Now, Dennis, I could talk to you for hours. You are the perfect guest because you talk a lot. I talk a lot. I love it, though. It's great. People don't want to hear. They already they know me. You are. Come on. It's, it's the inappropriate old podcast. But who is your pick out of the East? My pick out of the East, Tampa Bay. I am not on the Toronto train because I don't think Toronto has a good enough defense. I think that Freddie, they're going to be better because obviously, look, girl, when you put out Nazem Kadri, uh, Austin Matthews and John Tavares on the power play. Yikes. <laughs> that's going to be death to a lot of teams. I just don't see them defensively good enough. I think Tampa, when you got guys like um, um, Ryan McDonough and Victor Hedman back there and Anton Strawman, I just think, and I like the goaltender, I just think they have enough defensively to get through. Um, I just like them to come out of the East. Boston's going to be tough again. Um, this Pittsburgh. Kind of Washington a little bit. Pittsburgh's going to be good. But again, I don't. it depends on Chris Letang. Chris Letang has to be at his best for them to get, to get through that. And he hasn't been great defensively the last couple of years. So Washington deserved to beat them, but I, I like Tampa this year. I think it's I think it's Tampa year finally, uh, you know, going back to when they won with uh, Le Cavalier and Richards. But I, I think it's their I, I think I, I got Tampa coming out of the East. And of course, someone's West. coming out of the East. Who's coming out of the West? It's tough because there are I, I can see Vegas. It's not it's not Likely, but yeah. Uh, well, in 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 the hopes of dashing or making the NHL and NBC very very unhappy about the Stanley Cup final, I'll pick Winnipeg because the last thing that NBC wants is a Winnipeg Tampa oh boy. final. Tampa is the smallest city in the United States. Winnipeg is a Canadian team, so I'll take and I love Winnipeg. I think they're I think they're so skilled. I think that had they not had that grueling series against Nashville, and they may have to do it again this year, they would have beat Vegas. Um, I don't know. I have to say San Jose's coming out of the division, but I think pound for pound of it's San Jose, Winnipeg, uh, Western final, given the teams have about the same amount of rest. Um, I, I like Winnipeg to go on and uh, um, uh, to go be the West representative. But it could be, you could have five or six teams coming out of the West. I just like the, the depth of Winnipeg. I love Patrick Lane. Um, oh my they're going to miss, look, they're going to miss Paul Stasny a little bit, but I think Brian Little will stand up and be good defense, uh, good second line center. I love Mark Shifley. I just think they have enough talent and skill back there. Um, I think Jacob True will probably be gone after this season. So I, I think this group is, has their one last shot this uh, this go around, and I like them because I think other than not having the proper rest, I think they could have get to a cup final. So I like Tampa and Winnipeg, and I like Tampa to win it all. I, I do love watching Buffalo play. Like, oh yeah, it's just something. It's good and bad. You never know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get some great plays. You're gonna get some bonehead plays. It's it, great. It's like he's a rover. Totally a rover. He he's like Brent Burns. They're not the best defenseman in the world. Right, but they they dominate play. I mean, the way Brent shoots, the way he can shoot from every single angle with that wrist shot is amazing. I mean, these are amazing skilled players. But I agree with Dustin. Bufflin is just he's he, look. It, it's good and bad, and you never know. What you're, it's like you know, like like uh, you, you never know what you're going to get one night. One night you're going to get a horrible performance. Other nights he's a clearly physically dominant player, and he got in better shape too. You know, a couple of years ago he was. Tipping the scales around 300 pounds, and he got into better shape, and he could be clearly a dominant defenseman. They signed him to a long-term deal there. I just like it because there's so much skill on that team up there. They play in a small building. 
I would certainly love to see the fans up there because I'm on the air there a lot. Um, win a Stanley Cup. Um, but yeah, I, I like two very highly skilled teams. I think it would be a great matchup. But again, I don't think the league or NBC would be overjoyed with a Winnipeg Tampa final. Yeah, that's a problem in hockey is, you know, you're going to put teams in smaller markets and, and non-traditional, uh, you know, like Nashville's a great fan base. Uh, I mean, it's I was, great. I was just there a month ago uh, for comedy and to see Def Leppard and Journey. There you go. Uh, and that's that... Cool team is or that city is really there was nashville signs everywhere i mean a predator uh i was there for the cup final i had thirty thousand people in the street for a pre-game concert it's amazing on broadway it's 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 totally a hockey town i mean look it really is the titans are there and it's football country but that is a that is a very dedicated very robust fan base and and it's a great it's it's a great city and you have the one thing about nashville their stars come out all the country music stars come out and support this team you know you have uh uh, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw on the ice for the national anthem and stuff like that. I think it's fantastic. They are all in. It's a great city. The arena could be a little bit better. It's an older arena, but um, you know, it's not a very big city. I agree with you, Earl. And and but I, I think that it, it when they when they got to a cup final, it was a great story because the way they were embraced by the city and way they have. If you're a country music fan, you were in your glory watching hockey and watching these guys like Luke Bryan and like I said, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw and um, performing on the top of. Uh, of Tootsie's, the bar and stuff like that. I've been to that city, it's cool in the city, but they are all in with the spectator team. It's a great market. I mean, I will say that, uh, you know, maybe it's because I had never been to that arena before and maybe it's because it was a concert. It was a little more mm-hmm. of a buzz, but that was one of the best uh, energy. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, granted, I was journeying Def Leppard and, you know, you can't, probably can't equate the energy of a concert to an NHL game, but I was like, wow, this is electric well, in here. I'll tell you when it was electric. I was there that night, and I'm not the biggest John Scott fan in the world, but I was there that night he won the MVP, and that building was freaking loud for an all-star game, Earl. I mean, really loud. So, yeah, if they get to – and they, it was loud for the cup final games, and they were on – and Earl, they were there early. An hour before the game, people were in their seats standing up like a football game. So the, the football mentality runs through the hockey fan base because I'd never seen that before. There's certain things I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The game's at, at, at five because it was, or actually seven, eight, seven central. Six o'clock, everybody's in the stands waiting for the warm-up, standing up and going nuts. They have a band that went into the arena playing some country music. It's a very, very unique city and a very unique fan base when it comes to hockey, but they are all in and they are a tenacious fan base. I, I really love the city and I think it's been, and early, you know, that team was supposed to move it to Hamilton, Ontario back in the day. Yeah. Ten or fifteen years ago, they were they were not going to stay there. So I, I just think that they they go look. They got a great product in that town now. Um, the, there's new ownership um, that that dedicated spending the money to um, you know to to keep players there, even though they did lose Ryan Sutter and uh, Suter and uh, um, Shea Weber to free agency. But I, I just think that at this point, um, um, that that's a great fan base and that the the energy you heard. It does translate to hockey games. I mean, because I've been in the building. It's a very because if you're making a lot of noise for an All Star game, Earl, like you're no joke of a fan base. Oh no! I mean, it was like wow. I would love to see a hockey game in this uh, environment, but yep. uh, you know, it, the only thing they're gonna fly in the ointment with them is like any non traditional hockey market. Once they start losing, there's a million things to do in yeah, Nashville. Yeah, that's true. I just think that again. There's not like who's the college team? Vanderbilt. They're not any good in sports, right? They, Titans are going to be bad for a while. Titans are not going to be that great, right? So that I think they have that. Plus, I think that 
again, I think it goes back to the generational and family aspect of, of, of hockey's fan base. You've got kids who are going to the games with their parents. Like the tickets aren't that expensive like they are in Vegas or New York or even in LA. So I think there's more opportunity for the young kids to get involved. It's not a huge amateur hockey market. You're right about that. But I just think that, yeah, does, does losing contribute to, to a lesser attendance and a lesser vociferous fan base? Yeah, but I, there's not a, from a sports standpoint, there isn't a lot going on in Nashville. It's not like in New York. Like I'm really interested to see how the new Ranger fans handle the Rangers this year because they're not going to be a good team. Right? It's uh, well. Let's get into this because it, it, it's a good way to wrap up. Because okay. uh, you, you know it goes to I've talked enough. No, no. I, I mean, listen, I can talk to you for hours. Yeah. Uh, I don't get to talk hockey much. Right. Um, like to me, and and I'm not trying to treat this like fantasy hockey. We'll just trade this guy. Uh, <laughs> I would well. I hate it when fans do that. Like, you know, trade and, everyone. And if you go on the king boards, uh, you know, well, really, you know the deal. Like ninety eight percent of the players are talked about, and two percent are traded. Right. So yeah, but yeah, go ahead. So, but I'm pretty realistic in my. Uh, you try to be fair. Like I look at the Kings, and I say, okay, you know, if the right move came, totally, you know, it's yeah. a contract year, maybe Pearson. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but like to me, the Rangers should trade Lundqvist because yeah. they're not going to win with him. No, they're not going to win. And him. you could get something for him. You could, but he loves New York. There you he go. He doesn't well, want to go. King Heinrich. Uh, he doesn't want to go, Earl. That's as simple as that. He doesn't want to go. What so about if he? So he's he'll ready. He's ready to play out his career as a Ranger, not win a cup. He's some see some players, and maybe because they're European, Earl, their legacy doesn't isn't part and parcel of winning a Stanley Cup, and and. Henrik has done made a lot of money. He's a beautiful wife and a kid. His life is set. Um, he doesn't want to leave New York. I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure if you went to him, let's say St. Louis was 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 the first place team in the Central, right? Hey, Henrik, um, we sucked this year, and you know St. Louis wants you. Think he's going to go to St. Louis? No, he doesn't want to live in St. Louis. Well, don't I don't him. blame him there. I don't blame him, right? Exactly. So <laughs> so that that's it. He's part he's all New York. He's all about New York. So I agree with you. I think that some players are comfortable with a legacy of not winning. Like a guy like Mike Gartner, great goal scorer, never won a Stanley oh. Cup. And there's some team players destined never to win a Stanley Cup. And that's okay. Um, and I think Henrik's comfortable with that proposition. He had two bites at it. He, you know, with the uh, you know, the Kings. Um, knocked him out in, in 2014. But I think he's very comfortable with his status in the game. And I, I think he just looks at it and saying, okay, if I never win a cup, uh, I'm comfortable with my legacies I, whenever he ends his career. And in another similar situation, and, and I know it, it, the market is probably the most intense hockey market of them all, Carey Price in Montreal. I, I just... They're yeah. not going to win with him. Yeah, but it's it's hard. I mean, what team wants to take on that cap hit, Earl? You know, for I mean, you, you would have to have the Habs retain some salary. You'd have to have him agree to go to a team. And the only team I could figure he would want to go to would be Vancouver because that's where he's from. And they stink. Right. So what's what's the point of going to Vancouver? So, I mean, and how many great teams? I mean, maybe you look at a team like like Nashville, right? Like Pecorini's on his last year. You have Saros as the backup, but maybe if he comes out of the box poor next year and, and Pekka doesn't resign, he retires and goes on, rides off into the sunset in Finland, maybe that's an option for him. But again, it's, it's these players have these no trade clauses, Earl, and they control their destiny. Right? And that that's a lot of it has to do with it. So I agree. You, you get tired of losing, but Carey Price... He's such a cool cat. Uh, maybe he cares. Maybe he doesn't care about winning a cup. You you can't get really get a read with Carey. I mean, he has maybe has fire inside and is very competitive, but he's just so um, 
deferential when it comes to his attitude and his personality um, to the media and to just fans in general, that maybe he wants to win. And maybe at some point in time, they say, hey, look, we got a great trade for you to swing. But a lot of these players don't want to move. I mean, I'd want to stay the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens for as long as I could. I wouldn't want to move either. I mean, do you want to win? I mean, it's the same one. And plus, it's a very expensive contract. And to tie up that much of a cap hit on a goaltender, you better be sure. You better be sure that that's the last guy that you need to get it. And when I look at the teams that are playing, I'm looking at Vasilevsky and, and... in in Tampa, I'm looking at Rask and Boston. I'm looking at like, oh, what team could he go to that would help win a Stanley Cup championship? I don't really have the, the landing spot for him that he would agree to. That's a big enough market um, that has a contender that that lacks a goaltender. The only team I could think of would be St. Louis, right? All right, and I don't. Again, I don't. I can't foresee him waving that deal to go to St. Louis, waving that, that no trade clause. And he earned it. You know what? That's what happens when you negotiate contracts. Sometimes you get what you want and you get no trade clauses. And that's what happens. What happens with Anaheim, right? When when Corey Perry, now he's heard it doesn't really matter, but he has a no movement clause. He scores 17 goals, right? And you're paying him $8 million a year as a winger, right? I mean, you, you try to trade him. You say, okay, maybe it's not going to happen for him anymore. Who's going to take I me? Mean, who wants to leave Newport Beach, right, to go play in Columbus, Ohio, or St. Louis, right, or I don't know, or Ottawa? Oh, who boy. wants? It? Who's going to wave to go to Ottawa now, Earl? <laughs> that's the so that's part of the problem. Plus, there's a salary cap, so you can't just randomly move players around. If this was baseball with no salary cap, we could have all kinds of conversations. But the hard cap, and you can't re-sign your players and go over the cap. That's the one thing I think in the CBA I would change is that. Um, you can go over the cap to resign your players right. to keep continuity. You, and, and I get it. The owners want to have cost certainty and want to spend as little money as they want. That's the one move I would make. But that's that's the other issue is that you have players entrenched in markets and they've earned the right once they get to free agency to get that big contract and get those move, move clause. But if I'm a GM, I would never give a player a no movement clause. I go, okay, you're just one player out, out of 23. You know, We'll give you a limited no trade clause. We're not going to give you a no movement clause because you get jammed up. And with the expansion draft coming again, um, probably in saddle in a couple of years, it's going to affect some other teams that have no movement players that they won't be able to move. They won't be able to keep younger, better players because you have an older veteran who's sitting on no movement clause. Now, last question. Okay. And I know that this isn't a Kings podcast. It's not necessarily, but it kind of is since we're in Los Angeles. Right. It's a kind of a two phase question. Okay. Here we go. Let's fast forward to the trade deadline. Okay. Kings are, in a good possession. Okay. What trade targets do you think they would go after? I mean, secondary scoring. I mean, I know it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. We're targeting six months from now, but like uh, I'll give you a what if. Yes. Okay. Let's assume Columbus isn't that good, and they're five hundred. The and, bread man. Yeah. First round pick and a, and a really good first round pick and Jared Anderson Dolan for Artemi Panarin. Let's see what taking. I would have beginning of the year Earl. I would have done Toffoli and Pearson for Panarin, but now with the injuries, I don't know. That's the one guy I go after because I don't think he, he he nothing against Columbus. He wants to play in New York or L.A. or major market, right? New York or L.A. He probably you know he'll probably get a boatload of money if he gets a free agency to play with the Islanders. But I would offer him the money. Uh, I I would try to trade for him. 
sign him to an extension and then trade who I had to trade in the offseason, uh, whether it be a Tafolia Pearson or maybe a Muzzin or a Martinez to make room for him because that player's a game changer. He makes the players around him better. Now, the one caveat is if Columbus is in contention, if they are in contention, they're not going to trade him because he's clearly the best offensive team on a team that struggles to score. But if they fall out and they're eight or nine and it's clear that he's not coming back, and I don't think he is, um, that's the player I would shoot for because I think he might be available. Now, here's the only... Because I've heard that trade uh, bandied about totally in Pearson, possibly yeah. for Panarin. But don't, isn't that kind of like you're, you're breaking even? Like you're losing, say, 40 goals trading those two, and you're getting 40 goals, possibly. Well, you'd have Pan- to have a player pick up the slack um, for that. But, you know, the Kings really have a top nine now. So that I I think you could you could do that. And, again, I like to Foley. He's a 30-goal scorer. Pearson's a solid guy, but on a championship team, Tanner Pearson's probably a third-line left wing. So basically, it's it's a second-line player and a third-line player for a first-line player. I get it. Right? And you get the best player in the trade. And I just see the way he passes. And, and, and imagine, look, Earl, you make that trade, and then you have Panarin and Kovalchuk on the same line. <sighs> How do you defend that? With Kovalchuk in the middle. How do you defend that? Well, I think Kovalchuk might drive to Foley and Pearson to the airport to make that deal. Right, I'm, so I, I and not to disrespect to Foley and Pearson because I like them. Of course, they're good kids, they're, they're solid players, they're good, they're good people. But I, I, I think that you have an opportunity to get a game breaker. And again, let's go back to the offseason, What Blake wanted to do, he wanted Kovalchuk and and Pacioretty. So if if that th- player of that caliber is available, I would just go for it because I think if you get that player, then you can win the division, then you can do, get the two seed, and then you can get a better shot at going to the Cup final. Which his team has an opportunity to do. Now I know uh, Montreal media was, re- you know, of course, take it for what that's like. Of course, relying on TMZ for. Uh, <laughs> uh, they had uh, thrown it out there that it was totally for in something else for Pacioretty. Was mm-hmm. can you uh, squash that rumor? or Was that something that it could have been? It could look. Here's what I know: there were a list of players that could have been traded to execute that trade. Had Max agreed to uh, at, at max want to do an extension and I, I heard it never got that far i heard that with them and here's the problem earl with that whole situation with patch and the kings and and montreal is that you know max right in the middle of it changed agents so you get two different stories you got agent just the agent who was dismissed has one story the agent who was hired has another story the player has another story the team has another story the other team there's, there's like six stories earl so the the fact that there was so much confusion around it because there was there were five different parties that are parceled to, uh, to to this trade. So what I heard was that there was a list. They they definitely wanted Patch already in L.A. It just couldn't come to terms on. I heard there was no negotiate. It never got to a point where they got to a point where this this was the definitive trade and this was going to be extension. Now I do know one thing. Max is playing for four point five million dollars a year. Now he signed a seven million dollar. You know he said he signed a twenty eight million dollar four uh, twenty eight million dollar four year deal. It's a seven. It, the cap hits a seven million dollars a year, but Max is getting ten point five million this year. The issue with Max was he wanted to make up for that four point five million dollars he was getting paid for the last six years. So he wanted he wanted to get paid for past performance. The King goes, well, King said, well, we really can't. We don't want to pay you on past. We'll pay you on future. And that that was kind of a, a fly in the ointment as well. And and I get it. Like if I'm Max and I've been scoring thirty every year, getting four point five million, when I should be getting seven or eight. I'd be pissed off too. I'd want to get ten million. So they front loaded the deal in Vegas. That's why they got him to stay. Um, but I don't ever think that it was. Look, it was very seriously. They wanted him. I'm not sure what level of truth there was that 
that he was offered $6 million a year for eight years, or the trade wasn't in play. I don't ever know if it was, if, or if all the dots connected, he would be in Los Angeles. And right. he's not, he's in Vegas. So I, I think that there was a modicum of truth. While the other agent was there, the first agent, Pat Brisson, was there, as I understood, there was never a negotiation. There was never any talk about an extension or anything like that. And there wasn't going to get permission. The Kings were not going to get permission to do that. So it just was very cloudy, very murky. I'm not sure how it ever really, what the actual truth was. But all I know is that they were very interested in Max Pacioretty. That was the plan. And it came up a little short for a myriad of reasons. One being, I don't think the ever, trade was ever agreed upon. There was a list of players they would have accepted. I think the thing that got in the way was the money. And uh, I had heard early reports that the Canadians, uh, the first player they were asking for was Villardi. Yeah, which is not, you can't do that for a rental. That's that's why, that's why Dean Lombardi isn't here anymore, right? He traded assets for, for rentals and you can't do that. Unless you had certainty that Max would sign a deal to come in um, and be a king for the next six or seven years, then I would trade Villardi. But at this point, at that point, they didn't know the back injury was there. Right now, you probably want to do it, right? But um, at that point, yeah, that was not like uh, at the trade deadline, last trade deadline, somebody's telling me it was Toffoli and Velarde. I'm like, are you crazy? There's no way that they would make that trade. Um, and I could see Toffoli and another prospect maybe for Max. But um, yeah, at that point in time, Velarde was not on the table. He was, and still is to some extent, their number one prospect. He just has to get healthy. All right. Oh, he bringing up Lombardi, swinging for the fence. That's a Lombardi trade. That Toffoli and Velarde swing for it. (laughs) One last question. Okay. Now I'm a negative thinker by nature. Okay. Well, you're a comedian, so I wouldn't expect anything less. (laughs) Thanks to my lovely mom, she was the best. But she raised me basically at Earl. They're they're always looking to fuck you. So that's how I... I'll uh, balance it out with my positivity, Earl. Let's go. Answer the question. Let's say the Kings just... You know, their core is older. Okay. Now, I know they're not going to trade Dowdy. Correct. He's right. king for life. Right. Kopitar, probably a king for life. Right. Let's say it's getting uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel for this group to win is getting dim. Okay. At what point, I'm just saying... Do they even consider trading a guy like Carter? Or I mean, this is going to sound crazy. Go ahead, just say it. And I know it's not going to be this season, probably. Quick, you know, goalies as they get older. I'm not trying to start rumors. No, no, but I'm just you know, at some point, I, I look at. Once again, being a Steeler fan, I'll equate it to this: mm-hmm. the Steelers had a chance to draft Dan Marino, right? They didn't want to hurt Bradshaw's feelings. Mm-hmm. So they held on to Bradshaw, missed out on Marino, drafted Gabe Rivera. Mm-hmm. Right. Oops. And if you look at how Belichick runs things, mm-hmm. he trades you two years before anyone else would. Right. That's the issue, Earl. At what point, I mean, would the Kings even entertain training some of these okay. guys? Well, here's the thing, right? Depends on the optics, how you want to look at it, Earl. Because look, both quick and Carter have significant term left on their deals, but their cap hits are under market. Like Jeff Carter's cap hit is, I think, five, three a year. And Quick isn't that bad either. It's not that. When he signed it, people were going nuts. Now you're paying goalies $11 million a year. So that's the problem. But look, and I'm not saying I don't advocate either one because I think this core can stay together for another two or three years. I hope so. But if you're going to trade a player, you trade him one season too early as opposed to one season too late. 
And that that's that's what I'll say about that. So would Carter be attractive to anybody right now? Yeah, because he's still a 30-goal scorer. He's 33 years old. Um, he could really help another team for another couple of years. But I, I just think that um, – What's the replacement value? Are you just going to trade him for a first-round pick and a prospect? And then you're really saying, okay, we're going to raise the right flag here. We got to get, we have to bring forward the next generation of team, right? Because if you're trading Quick or, or Carter, you're saying we're no longer a contender. Right. As long as those guys are alive, you're going to contend. John's still on his game. Jeff, I think, is going to be healthy. He says he's not 100% yet off his ankle injury, his, his ankle surgery last year. But when you watch him in preseason, you see that explosiveness, you see that speed, you see his wrist shot. Uh, he's ready to score 30 goals. He's a 30-30 guy, right? So 30 goals, 30 assists, 5.3 cap hit, you don't make that trade, Earl. Uh, but if you think that his time is coming to an end and you want to trade him, then you will trade him next offseason. The, the moves would be, and that's the thing, Earl, Next se- this offseason is going to be very, very intriguing. What's the team going to do in the, in the regular season? What are they going to do in the playoffs? And then you've got Drew Doughty's cap hit of $11 million hit next year. Some significant player is going to have to come off this team next year. I'm assuming that, and once again, I'm not trying to be like some of these. You can start shit. Sides. Let's go. Well, no, I, I really start. don't like to. Like I said, I like to be fairly realistic. Yeah. Uh, I look at some of the contracts on this team. I would say, depending on how we do this year, uh, if enough, mm-hmm. you know that that that's a big uh, yeah contract. You if you yeah, you could name them all. You could name you could name uh, Clifford's. You know, I, I I know you can't trade them, but you nest- could you could name. Muzzin, you can name Martinez, you can name Dustin Brown if you want. I'm, uh, I would never trade Dustin, but you know, you th- that's a possibility because you've got Kopitar at ten hit, you've got um, Drew at eleven, right, and and you've got some, and you have um, Kovalchuk at six. So there's there, there I'm just telling you, I, I, and I'm not going to predict it either because it's not fair to the players. Oh, of course but, not. But there's a player of consequence. That's a significant player on this team that will not be on this team next year because of Drew Doughty's cap hit. You went from seven to 11. That's $4 million. And I just think that's the time will come. And that's it. So you have to look at these players and say, which player is just about at the zenith of his career and is going to be on the downtick? You mentioned Jeff Carter. Well, you know, if Jeff gets injured again or underperforms, you would look at him. His cap hit would be comfortable for some teams. Um, But yeah, I just, I don't think so because again, you have that one-two punch down the middle. If you could tell me, Earl, after the season that Gabe Velarde's healthy, he could play second line center because that's his, that's where he played in juniors most of his most of the time and back up Kopitar. Then would I be more convinced to, to trade a Jeff Carter? I would, but again, without knowing, you know, let's talk in nine months, right? In the aftermath of the season, but again, be, not because of not necessarily um, the deterioration of anybody's play, but because of their cap situation, unless the cap goes from like eighty to eighty five, and you can make, make a little bit more room. Again, I think because of the Dowdy contract and Kopitar's cap hit, a player of consequence is going to come off this team in the offseason. And because I'm an idiot, and I say this half kiddingly, this probably is the best way to end this podcast, other than plugging your stuff, which we will get to in a second. And my love of the tough guys, does Boko Imama ever see an NHL regular season game? I hate to disappoint you, Merle. That's a no. All right, Dennis, where can people find you? I, I mean, I know you're an NHL network correspondent. Yeah. Okay, so let's run it down. Okay, so um, every Friday, I'm on TSN Radio Montreal, 
uh, with Chris Nyland, another enforcer. Knuckles. Knuckles. I'm going to see Knuckles in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go up to Montreal for the King, for the uh, half season opener against the Kings. So I'm on there every Friday at um, actually at 1030 Pacific time. You can click into the TSM website. Um, Saturdays, we start this Saturday from get up early, Earl. I know that guys like you don't get up early, but I'm on from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM Channel 91, Off the Rush with Nick Alberga and Dave Pagnota. Um I write for fourthperiod.com. I'm on Twitter, uh, Dennis TFP. Um, and I'm on randomly in Toronto and Winnipeg a lot of times. But those are the main places you can find me, either hear me or or see my writing. Well, it, I, I know we kid around a lot. Uh, it, it's an honor to have you here. Uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast with you, Earl. I mean, you are it's one mutual. of the... But you are one of the top uh, hockey reporters in the world. Thank you. I appreciate it. But you are, though. Like It's like you are the go-to guy for uh, certainly King's information. Uh, I have my moments, Earl. Well, you you get you're the perfect blend of you get the scoops, but you keep your mouth shut enough where the players trust you exactly, and, and which is key. Bing, uh, you hit it, Earl. That's exactly what I do. I, I to me, Earl, no story is big enough to break to um, to ruin a relationship because in this business, like if you get, if it gets out that you open your mouth, yeah, you're no one shut out. To talk to that's you. it. That's it. He's a bit. He blew me up on stuff like that. It happened to me once. In, in the last five years, and I, ne- I promised myself I'd never do it again, where I, I kind of open my step my bounds. But I, I'm all about relationships, Earl. It's the integrity of relationships. I don't care. Because, Earl, here's the thing. There's another story to break. Sure. Right? And if you, if you screw up that relationship, you can't get that back. You can get back another story. So I, I and Earl, believe me, as you probably know, 90% of the shit that I'm told, I can't repeat. Oh, of course. Right? So, so I know, and I, I use it in my own voice. So if somebody tells me X and Y, I say, well, I think... I don't reference who told me. I said, it's my opinion that based on, you know, what I know, da, 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 da. So I, I, again, I'm very, very cautious of um, my relationships because if I have them, I have nothing. And that's not just hockey, Earl. That's life, right? Oh, my, Life sure. is about relationships. You know, in your business, same thing. If you don't have relationships, you're dead. And so I'd never, so with respect to me, I can entertain. I think I, more than anything, more than inform Earl, I entertain because of, of my style and my fast talking in my New York accent. I think I'm more entertaining than the average writer or, or reporter because um, I don't take myself that seriously. Right? And I know that I'm not Bob McKenzie or Darren Drager or Elliot Friedman. They're an entire different level. And, and I disagree. I, well, I never call myself an insider, right? Do I get some information sometime from the inside? Yeah, but I don't hold myself as that. Those guys are the, the platinum standard. And I'm just some good cat in LA who, who entertains people, makes them laugh and, you know, engages on social media more than those guys go because, you know, they have a million followers. So you can't expect that. So I respect them. I've learned from those guys. They know who I am. Um, they know I do a good job down here, but certainly I just think that, you know, I, I think that with respect to the information, it's very, very important, Earl, because again, if you betray trust in any business, not just hockey or reporting, you're dead. If you have no integrity, you're dead. And I just, to the, day in, day out, that's what I look at. It's the integrity of what I do and, and how I handle relationships with people like yourself. Well, it's I'm humbled and honored to have you here. And uh, to my fans, please become fans of Dennis's. You won't find better reporting uh, done on the Kings and NHL in general. Uh, I'll post all the links to his various uh, endeavors on TSN <laughs> and fourth period. And uh, this will be out in about 40 minutes. I'm going to literally kick Dennis out yes. so I can get this out tonight. Great. And uh, Kings uh, hockey starts uh, Friday night in San Jose. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, Kovalchuk reverses <laughs> uh, his role to 2011 Kovalchuk. That would be nice for the team for sure. 
Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you for the love and support getting us to number three. And maybe with Dennis on, I'll be number two because <laughs> no one's catching Joe Rogan. Daddy Joe is number one, but being number two doesn't suck. Dang it.